Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that's more diabolical than Liliana's Liliana's Mexican mind. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I just put on a little lip gloss and I'm good to go. And uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I just need to know, where's the podcast? Where's the microphone? (laughs) Uh, I'm Paul Oslison, and the fear of the unknown is so strong that I almost quit this podcast just moments before beginning. I was going to point out, why is Paul fourth now? Somehow we replaced it where Mike is third and Paul's fourth. Well, so I was I, kind of actually, I was just coming on, I was, I was like, am I number three or number four? I was like, I'll just wait. And then I guess, you know, Mike Bloom just, he feels natural in that third spot. So I just let him have it. I said right. I went he- way in here. Look, I was all about including Paul in. I know he's on the outs, but you guys are very adamant about excluding him. You gave him the coffee ground. So I was ready to let you guys do all the talking. See, I was going to say, you're more like the Rocky and I'm the Anthony that just gets, you know, <laughs> crapped on this whole season. Paul, so. you gotta be stop being so emotional. Come on, bro. Take this good off a little bit. Man up. <laughs> well, if there's one thing we can agree on, that's when I think number two, I think Jay Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's fair. At least I'm not the <laughs> Melissa McNulty of this podcast. <clears throat> that would be Beatles, right? <laughs> Fucking yes. Beatles. <laughs> Beatles has actually been on every podcast. He's just been on mute. He always he has, can't figure out the Skype session at the end like when we hit stop recording he's just like man that was a great episode guys <laughs> should you tell him no you tell him no no you 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 should tell him all right we are here to talk about a uh one of the more controversial seasons in survivor history survivor fiji or as my friend adam kolodny calls it the fiji we're here to discuss the fiji which historically has been one of the more hated survivor seasons and is almost universally loathed always shows up on people's bottom tier lists of worst survivor seasons and this is going to be interesting uh, discussion this time around because i don't believe any one of the four of us agrees with it i think we all find this season to be quite fun no, I was I, probably I was probably the lowest on the season. I said at the end of the, our Cook Islands podcast that I hadn't rewatched it, and I remember it being a pretty negative season that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Despite Earl winning, who was a pretty good guy throughout. That being said, not to spoil my opinions about these first five episodes too much, I'd say one, two, and three are not the best episodes, but four and five are definitely a step up in quality. That I can only assume steps up more in quality as we start to get into the saga of the Four Horsemen. I, I do want to point out I love that Mike does not want to spoil his opinions of the episode, yet he's already spoiled the winner. So congratulations, Mike. <laughs> oh, damn. Way to, way, to, way to spoil somebody that won a, a television show in 2007. Yeah, I should uh, actually reveal that my name is Chill 2. Uh, I'm a, a cheap knockoff that tries to do the best he can to beat show one. I got to say, it, Fiji suffers from, well, it suffers from several things. And there are several things that are, I think, inherently weirdly wrong with the season but i think that it works in all of its wrongness i think it's a very honest season of survivor and i like that sort of coming off the weird debacle that we had in cook islands but that being said it suffers i think in people's minds just because of the placement of it in this in the thing of despite all of our best efforts cook islands remains to be uh, a fairly popular fan fan favorite ish sort of season and it was uh, well received at the time and then uh, the next season is going to be survivor china which I think a lot of people have is one of the best seasons of all time 
Um, I certainly am a big fan of Survivor China uh, in and of itself. But I think that for the fact that it falls between between those two seasons and people don't necessarily, you know, it's it's kind of a problem season. It would almost be like a Shakespeare problem play. But that being said, I really like it. It's sort of these first five episodes or so, I would probably say are the the expository warm-up sort of stretch of of Fiji. And I just was having so much fun throughout. Not not to say that it's the funniest or it's the best or it's the most well-executed, but it's like it, it sort of just captures your interest for the most part all the way through due to either the characters or the situations that they're in. You know, one thing I had forgotten about until I was going back and I was doing some research and reading some old articles about when Survivor Fiji was coming out, and I had totally forgotten that I, I was reading an article, a Reality Blurred article, where he, um, Andy was quoting Jeff Probst, and he said going into the season that Fiji is one of the five best seasons we've ever done. So I, I, I had kind of forgotten about that there was that hype that people were coming off of Cook Islands. And despite what you heard on this podcast, like Jay said, you know, everyone like was like, whoa, Cook Islands is awesome. And then you're moving into to Fiji and really false sense of this is going to be awesome. Again, even it's going to be even better than, than Cook Islands. So I think anytime you get Jeff setting us up that things are going to be awesome, it's not going to live up to that hype. Nice to know that Jeff is doing that crap even back then. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think this season is also, as, as I'll point things out as we watch, I think this is kind of a turning point for a lot of things, for, uh, for a lot of things in the show, um, that this is the first time that things you know, show up, and one of those things is, is Jeff Probst overhyping the season. So, I mean, that, that happened from the beginning. It's interesting you guys compare it or at least contrast it with Cook Islands because that's the one thing that I've always said about Fiji, even long before we started doing Historians, that Fiji has the reputation that Cook Islands should have and Cook Islands has the reputation that Fiji should have. And I've always thought they should have been flip-flopped. Let's also you know, compare this to the story that, was, that we released last podcast about how Jeff was sort of ready to go down with the ship until Cook Islands turned out to be a surprise success. And I think now... Probes is going to be doubling down hard until he becomes executive producer around token chains, and I feel like this is one key example of it. One yeah. thing I remember, and I don't know if you guys uh, can back this up, and I'm just crazy Jay on on a, on a tangent here, but I seem to remember as well. I was not I, I was not a guy that that paid attention to spoilers very much, uh, even though spoilers are you know it's a thing and they're around. And I mean we've talked about it before on the podcast about people trying to spoil seasons and boot lists and things like that. And I, I don't pay much attention to that. But something that I remember, and I don't know if it was Jeff Probst in an interview or just people saying it, but I remember one of the hypes, even going into Fiji before we had even seen an episode, was the something's going to happen at the car challenge in Fiji that's going to be crazy. Yeah, it's not... They didn't actually mention the car challenge. They just said the most controversial decision in Survivor history. That's how I remember it being worded. I remember there's something also just about car challenge more than any, anything else. I, I don't... And I, I can't necessarily back well, it up, but it's like, you know, you, the car challenge isn't going to come for many, many, many episodes, but you're just like, oh, I can't wait. What's going to happen? Right. Well, I, you know, I'm the early show expert here, and I remember there's uh, a very, like, uh, Julie Chen has Jeff Probst on, on the early show the night, the day bo- that Survivor Fiji premieres, and they're talking back and forth, just kind of usual banter, like, oh, who's on this season? And he's, like, hyping up some contestants and whatnot. And then, like, Julie Chen didn't understand that they were hyping up that there was going to be this big controversial decision, so she asks him, like, oh, and uh, something big happens at the end of the episode, can you like tease us on that a little bit? And Jeff's kind of like, huh? 
like he's probably thinking in his mind, uh, Jessica goes home, like, uh, what's the big moment here? And then he like realizes, like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's later. That's like late in the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, and so as I think about this more and more, I think about everything going into Fiji. We really get hyped up on that. There's this huge twist. They tell us at the end of, of Cook Islands that Survivor turns the tables on two tribes as one lives the life of luxury, the others lift with, with virtually nothing. And then they also say in the promo that one of the most controversial decisions ever made by a Survivor will have America talking. So those are the two big focal points that people have going into Fiji. And if you just look at those two things, for I know for me personally, are like not the greatest things in the season. Those are some like the problematic parts of the season or the thing that is not the most fun to talk about. From those big things that you're supposed to look at, I think you can have a lot, a lot of fun with Fiji. Yeah, it's funny. I had completely forgotten about the way they hyped Fiji. But yeah, that's that's from just from a historical perspective. That's one thing that people need to keep in mind. If you didn't watch these seasons when they aired, I always think back to Pearl Islands as having the all season long probes would hype it as this season has the biggest lie in Survivor history. And this, this is all you heard for 13 weeks or whatever until it finally happened. So this is the, the entire way they marketed that season. And then it happened again with Fiji. This is the second time they really did that with just wait until you see this decision. Just wait the most controversial thing. So that is exactly what people talked about going into the season. It's not really haves versus have-nots. It's it's funny when I hear so much criticism of Fiji, it's always people saying, well, haves versus haves-not, which was not fair. It wasn't interesting TV. But if you watch the season, it's really not even that significant a part of the storyline. Like That's interesting for a couple episodes, but then, it, then Fiji starts after all that ends. So it's it's one of those things that I've always thought... Like the theme that people think is the theme of Fiji is not what the actual theme is. It's not the actual storyline. And it, it kind of backs up the one thing that I hear a lot, which is people saying, oh, I hate Fiji. It's the worst season. I never watch it. And I'm like, so well, I'm- yeah, why don't you like it? Well, because I never watch it. That's the thing. It's like if people watch it and give it a chance, it's actually way better than you think it is. I mean, it's not a masterpiece, but it certainly got some compelling stuff in it. So I feel like there's some preseason stuff that we have to talk about here. What? Uh, <laughs> because uh, there's a couple things that are going on here. Uh, I don't know which one we want to get to first. The 19 contestants or the uh, hypothetical racially divided season. <laughs> because I, I really want to debunk that latter theory. Because that has been a running theory in the Survivor community for so long. Oh yeah, Debunk it, boy. That, debunk. Yeah. It's to the point that people just talk about it as if it's a fact. I mean, it's not even... Hey, I think it's supposed to be divided by race. People will just say it. Oh yeah, Fiji was supposed to be divided by race too. It'll even show up on like Survivor trivia things like did you know that fiji was originally supposed to be divided by race like cook islands was that on a pringle it was yes it was on a pringle it was in between the rupert trivia questions yeah so i mean if you look at the layout of this season it is very similarly structured to cook islands in terms of there are there were supposed to be five caucasian contestants five african-american contestants five uh hispanic contestants and five asian contestants however i mean there's just there's a bunch of like logical fallacies if you would think about that one of them being Let's also remember the massive, massive hit Survivor took when they found out they were dividing things by race in Cook Islands to the point of where they lost sponsors. They actively lost money from their franchise. Why in God's name would Survivor want to take that risk and repeat the exact same thing for the second season in a row? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. There's not much more to say. That's, it just doesn't pass the test of the, uh, the smell test where that makes sense. Well, I think where it came from um, was I remember on the TV Guide special that came out 
uh, beforehand, one of the reporters from TV Guide, they just cut this quick interview of her, and she's like, she's not even like on location or anything, and she just like her eyes are really big in the camera, and she's saying, um, "Well, Je- I don't think I don't know if she said Jeff said this or like the rumor is that they were going to divide the tribes just like in Cook Islands," and she just like has this huge look in her eyes, like I got a secret here, so who knows, you know. You where she came up with that. <laughs> I love that Paul remembers the tiniest little details about some interview 15 years ago. It probably was Renee Seiler, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we've harnessed, we've yeah, harnessed was, your nerddom for good, Paul. She, Renee Seiler's one for one in terms of busting big survivor behind-the-scenes secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they yeah, could have... I, I think in, all, in a way, though, that, you know, and, and we see this a lot, even in, in modern Survivor, and, and, you know, if people sort of look at it at Survivor sort of and, and the patterns that go on in, in the fact that we have two survivors every year, right? We have one in the wintertime and then one sort of in the spring, summertime, you know, it's it, one or two, I guess. Well, wintertime and then late summer, you know, the, the two seasons of the, of the, of the TV year, we have uh, a season of Survivor. And as it goes, as you see, uh, when Survivor gets renewed every year, it gets renewed for another year or another two seasons. And they sort of do two season clumps in a lot of ways. It's like, well, we've got these two seasons and these two seasons and these two seasons. And it's like they went on a limb with Cook Islands in the sense of, well, we're, we're going to cast this uh, four tribes divided by race, these four different types of races with five people, 20 contestants total. And you could see that uh, the way Fiji was laid out was they had 20 contestants and they had it just the same way. Uh, five contestants uh, of each of four distinct American races, I guess is how it goes. But what they could do here is that instead of just saying, well, we're going to do the race thing again, it's you, you, you then have time. You have time to look at how that's going to be received the first time. And you have, you have times to kind of course correct. And I think not that I'm thinking that they were definitely necessarily going to divide it by race, but they had the option to go so many different directions uh, by doing this. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a good cast. I, I, what I like about this cast as opposed to cook islands is I think that, a lot more people in this cast hold their weight on on the screen as opposed to Cook Islands. Yeah, some of the some of the characters on this one just jump right off the screen. That's one thing that really stands out to me about Fiji. Which is interesting though, because I feel like this cast is almost lambasted by a lot of fans because it is almost universally recruits. Papa mm-hmm. Smurf is the only guy that actually applied to the show, and I think on paper a lot of fans disagree with that because you know they feel that people that apply for the show and want to be on the show should be on it. But I don't know. Maybe this is a bit of a controversial opinion, but I feel like whoever's going to be pr- produce the best TVs is going to make the best TV, whether you're you're recruited at a taco stand or whether you applied. And I feel like it's fun to bring in people that don't know the game sometimes because you get to see you know. P- out the game from day one, which you see with our winner, Earl, who wasn't recruited and had never apparently heard of Survivor until Dreams actually told him how the game worked. <laughs> you know, when Dreams is making your life decisions for you, you could probably ask some questions about your decisions in life. <laughs> well, and I think that I think the, I was thinking about comparing this cast to um, the Cook Islands cast, and I feel like with the Cook Islands cast, there's a lot of people who, if they're in the middle, there are a lot of them who are kind of vanilla, and then they kind of if they're in the middle, boring, vanilla character, they lean towards, like, still a likable person. Like, as much as we, like, you know, talked about Cecilia's and whatnot, like, they weren't, like, dis- like you didn't, like, dislike them. Whereas in Fiji, a lot of the people who might have been somewhere in the middle, 
weren't the most likable. They might have le- leaned toward the sides of a little bit annoying, um, a little bit easier to be happy that they get voted off and stuff. So Survivor Fiji as a whole doesn't have the best reputation as a cast, but I think it's a bit edgier than the Survivor Cook Islands cast. Well, and can I also say this in the, in the sense that not that I always want people to be on the show that have no concept of Survivor, but I think that a lot of times the the word that kept coming to my mind as I'm watching these first couple of episodes, and, and especially uh, in accordance with the cast, is refreshing. In, in the sense that, yes, yeah, a lot of these guys are recruits, and like you said, not not a lot of them knew the game in and out going into the game. And, you know, a lot of people these days are, that are so strategy-focused, they like to have people, returnees come back and, and known quantities come back because they're like, they have already know how the game works, and so we get to see them strategize on a whole other plane. And to me, I kind of like it when you throw people in there that sort of ha- are having that survivor experience, the, the, okay, they just threw us on a deserted island, and we also have to play this incredible social game. And... Sometimes they fall flat on their face. In the case of Erica and some of these early boots, you can you kind of look at the screen and give an awe, oh, bless your heart, you're trying, but you don't quite get it. But then you get other people that, because they don't know, they have a, sort of a fresh look on things in the game, and weird stuff comes out from the season. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but because these recruits were in there playing, we actually got some compelling television. Yeah, and the one thing what, that I, I say a lot is that, you know, I'm seeing Survivor every single episode, as everyone on this podcast has. You kind of get cynical towards Survivor over the years. And, like, it's kind of, you get, like, I've been there, done that. I've seen everything that can happen on Survivor. So, to me, stuff that really stands out is when you throw someone on there and they have real reactions to real yeah. hardship. And I think that's yeah. fantastic. And that's, I know we're going to get into this discussion with Rocky, who I think is one of the more compelling characters, like, ever in Survivor history, just because he's so raw and he's just so completely unhinged. He just goes absolutely bonkers because this is such hell he's going through. And that's the kind of stuff I love seeing on Survivor. And again, even if you don't like Rocky, I just think it's interesting to see that. It's so real, and that's the one thing, like I said, as a jaded Survivor fan, just to see real reactions from real people. And that's something that I do think Survivor has lost in its in later years, that, the, that real reaction of real people. I'll make one more comment about the cast before we we dive into this a little bit deeper. I want to see, um, as a whole, it's also really fun to watch this season because you only have one returning player from the season, and he goes out really quickly in in Micronesia, and his reputation isn't really tainted too much by that. So it's really fun to go back and watch this. It's kind of this time capsule of these contestants who, it's not, you don't watch them, they go, oh, they're not as good this time, but they're going to be really good in in the second time they play or the third time they play. Like, this is kind of it, and Mm -hmm. there's nothing else you get from them. So as as a Survivor fan to go back and rewatch a season, it's fun to rewatch a season where you're really only focused on the season. You're not thinking about any of these people outside of the context of Fiji. That's a good point. And, and it's uh, to compound on that, some of the characters like Rocky is a, is a character uh, that would fall in this category. I would think Alex, perhaps Mookie and uh, uh, Dreams, I think is one. There, there are characters, several characters on the season where I I think they're so great, and I think they added so much to the show, and I feel like they should probably have a better reputation for what for for what they uh, really applied to the show and to Survivor Fiji. That being said, I don't want to see any of them ever again. You know, I, I think that it was good that they were on Fiji. They were a one and done. They added a, a layer of complexity there, but I don't look at it as a, oh they they're incomplete. They need to come back and play Survivor again. They were just really compelling television that first time out. And I will say that I think with one exception, the boots from these first five episodes are 
I don't know if they're passing the Ashby line here. They're going back to your example, Jay, of like they're recruits and they're not exactly stacking up to the rest of the cast. But it's sort of like Guatemala-esque in that we're getting rid of some of the more dud cast in favor of, I mean, I feel like from the swap here on out, there's a pretty good boot yeah. almost every episode. Yeah. That exception better be Sylvia or I'm going to have some problems. <laughs> I don't well, know. I'm a big Rita fan, personally. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, that's tough. I actually, I and I would agree with you, Mike, as as well. There, I mean, it, it may be the way it's edited, and it may just the way the ball bounced, but it seems like when you watch Fiji, that they get rid of a lot of their dead weight first, and yeah. you know, a lot of the compelling people are left in. Maybe that's the way the show is edited, and maybe had some of the other people left earlier, and people like. You know, maybe maybe there was another layer to Liliana and Erica that we don't know about, but it seemed like there wasn't, and it seems like the the right people went out first, and then we had just a really good season. Speaking of people going out first, uh, Mike had alluded to it earlier, so let's talk about this Melissa McNulty person. Uh, you have to pronounce both L's in her name, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa McNulty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So yes, let's. Uh, I'm sure everyone or most people know about the history of the the preseason quitter from Survivor Fiji. But uh, feel free to go into it if you like. This is one of the more interesting aspects of this season. Right. So the report that Jeff gives, um, this is quoted in the Reality Blurred article from the Times, that that she got overwhelmed and started panicking. We told her how the show works and how you'll be uh, a little isolated. It was just too much for her. I'm like. So she panics on the island and they tell her, like, oh, you're going to be like a little bit isolated out here. You're not going to like have modern conveniences. Anyway, our psychologist talked to her, our medical doctor talked to her. We went out and talked to her. There was just no way you could try to encourage her to stay on the show. She was not comfortable, not even close to comfortable, and the game hadn't started. So we said, all right, you're out. They don't have a backup contestant for her. And uh, that's why we dropped from 20 to 19. Okay, just so back to back up even, even further from this, because everything Paul said is totally relevant. For, for those of you who don't know, for some reason, even though we've thrown out the name, there were originally 20 contestants on Survivor Fiji. Uh, again, five people from, you know, uh, Caucasian, African-American, uh, Latino-American, and Asian-American uh, sort of backgrounds. And if you're doing your counting and looking at the screen, uh, the, the 20th person that you do not see is, uh, is, she's a Caucasian female, and her name is Melissa McNulty. You can Google what she looks like in promo photos because she made it, you know, she was recruited to be on the show. She made it all the way out there, did the promo photos, the pre-interviews, did all of that stuff, and then literally pulled her right before the game, just as Paul enumerated. So that's who we were talking about. Melissa McNulty, the 20th contestant on Survivor Fiji, who did not start the game. Everyone go. And there the is timeline, a rumor. The, oh, go ahead. No, go with the rumor. Go ahead. I was going to say there is a rumor that so the game starts with the nineteen of them on a boat together paddling. The rumor is, and again, this is a rumor, so it's not exactly uh, substantiated. Is that apparently on the first take of them filming that a giant tidal wave came and capsized the boat, and apparently there was this big dramatic scene, and apparently Earl saved Sylvia from drowning. Uh, but apparently Melissa was in that boat, and she was so shaken from the tidal wave that that caused her to have the panic attacks and quit the game, which is why maybe why Jeff says uh, the fear of the unknown is so intense that one person quit the game before paddling ashore, not necessarily before the game started. So that's, again, not substantiated, but it could just be a theory as yeah, to I what feel like exactly that, she I feel like that the game. Rumor, I feel like that rumor has evolved over time because I remember when it came out, it was everyone was saying that it happened the night before the game started, that she wasn't able to do it. And I think over time it's become... I don't know. I, that, I feel like that rumor has come up later on. I don't remember hearing that quite earlier on. I don't know what you remember about it, Mario. I don't remember much about that. I only heard the tidal wave rumor recently, so I, I'm not entirely sure about that one. Yeah, because I remember being like a little bit miffed of like, 
when Jeff Probst said like that, a contestant's quit um, moments before the game started. And I remember thinking at the time, like, uh, moments, they said it was like the night before. So that was a bit of a stretch. So. And then they quit the to a shot of Austin's torch just to shame Austin a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> let's get uh, let's get Renee Seiler on the case on this though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I guess we're going to delve into the episodes now. Although there's one just thing I wanted to say before we go to episode one is that this is a theory I've always had. I'm curious if it's going to be backed up once we go into the episodes. But I've always thought that that one's opinion of Survivor Fiji is a hundred percent correlated to what you think of Rocky as a Survivor character. If you think he was interesting and compelling, you like Fiji. If you think he was the most insufferable asshole ever, you hate Fiji. And since most people absolutely hate Rocky, I, I've always thought that correlates 100% with why this is such a hated season. Just a theory I've always had. I think he's both, and I love the season. So yeah, yeah, We'll just edit that out. Ed, Tim, edit that, edit that part out where Jay disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll definitely have moments over the course of these few episodes. I'm definitely, again, not to spoil my opinions too much, I'm, li- I'm liking Rocky more than I did during the first airing, but he is going to have a couple moments of being an asshole over these next five episodes. Yeah, and, but it's a real asshole, again, like Jay said. He's, he's correct. Yeah, not, not any of these uh, fake assholes, these bleached yeah. assholes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no bleached assholes. Wow, we're right. in, I mean, we're, we're like less than a half an hour in. We've already made our first porn reference. Well done. <laughs> and Ozzy isn't even on this season. <laughs> All right, let's go to episode one of The Fiege. And uh, we are going to start off uh, where Jeff announces the twist this season. Exile Island is back, of course. It's beloved Exile Island. And this time there are two hidden idols. Exile There's Island. Some new rules about how those idols are going to be played, too. A lot of evolution here with this. Yes, and Jeff does at the first tribal council or second or whatever. He he enumerates the the way that the immunity idols are going to be used, which is basically it's the immunity idol that most of us know today, which is that the immunity idol you can play it after the votes are 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 tabulated, but before the votes are read, which is how most of the immunity idol goes because they realize that the other way was broken. Yeah, and the, but they made several other changes as well. Like you said, there will be two idols, and not only will the idols not be hidden on Exile Island, they'll be hidden at each camp. And I think this is sort of a way for... I mean, the, the closest we came to an idol being played was last season in Cook Islands at the merge at the final nine. Other than that, it's basically just become this giant superpower that isn't even used at all. And I feel like the producers were really itching to have these big moments happen. And so I think they were really coming up with ways for it to become a more active twist. And definitely, you know... Having uh, someone stumble upon it or, you know, having someone be discovered digging for the idol and having two idols possibly in play, which we won't see for a long time on Survivor. These are all permutations that uh, could possibly rise up with all these new twists that are happening with the idol. You can see the evolution of the hidden immunity idol, just as Mike said, within the the producer game of it in the sense of they introduced the immunity idol, which is. And then the way you got the immunity idol before was it was usually hidden on exile or somewhere and you had to get like 8,000 clues. And then not only did you have to have a million clues, you had to dig like a lot somewhere to get this idol. Like you had to do a whole ton to get it. And then people got it and then they didn't use it because it was more powerful almost in a way not to as a bargaining chip, sort of how Terry and uh, and Yule has used it before. And I think that, as Mike said, the, the producers were like, we, we got to make it so that they use it. So let's do two. Uh, but they still sort of hit it in camp in a place where they had to dig, which, you know, they're going to alleviate in future seasons with we're just going to hide it in, in holes or at tree mail or something, you know, and, and they just sort of we'll have a lot of them so that they, they use it and then we'll just we'll, we'll tell them we'll rehide it and then we'll have more idols. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying 
well, I am saying it's bad, but I mean, you could see the evolution of it where they were like, well, we have this idol. Okay, we have it. They're not using it. We got to make them use it. Well, they got to find it. Okay, we'll make it easy to find and then we'll have a lot so they use them. And it's like you can sort of see how this goes. And yes, Fiji is another evolution in that. And as always, I always say you can tell a lot about her Survivor season by the person they choose to give the first confessional. And sure enough, it's the most dynamic speaker, the biggest character of Fiji. Edgardo gives the first confessional in (laughs) Fiji. El Ducho. Yeah, El Ducho. That's the man, yes. If for well, people even, don't know, I was gonna say for people who don't know the El Ducho backstory, that's kind of a nickname I gave to Edgardo on the Funny One Fifteen, and it only makes sense if you read it in context. Where I'm talking about the horsemen, and I just call them douche, 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 and then I get to El- Edgardo when I call him El Ducho just to make a joke. And he doesn't really warrant that name, but for some reason it kind of stuck, and that's what people tend to say when they refer to him now. So I apologize, well, his, to Edgardo. His pregame stuff, though, I would. Uh, Jeff did his cast assessment. I'm not sure if they call it the the cast assessment back then, but his like thing about Edgardo was like this guy. He was he told us the story in casting about how he had this buddy, and he said your girlfriend like is not good enough for you, and the buddy didn't believe him, so he went and slept with the girlfriend to tell his buddy, see, she's a really bad girlfriend. She slept with me. <laughs> oh my so, god! I, that El Ducho thing. I mean. Hmm? <laughs> Viva El Ducho! <laughs> yes, okay, so that's that's literally, I think, all we have to say about Edgardo, other than my wife, Diana, thinks he's very nice. She says he's nice. I mean, I, she probably had not heard that story, by the way. I will say this on a rewatch, at least so far, is that my I remember the Four Horsemen in general being very, I mean, douchey, I guess, is the right word. Maybe I was influenced by the Funny 115. And, and to see their fall is is funny. I'm not going to... Uh, disparage that but like especially in these early episodes Edgardo seems like a nice guy uh, you know Mookie seems a little full of himself but like I remember really not liking Alex very much and I have to say at least so far in the first couple episodes I think Alex is pretty awesome like you know, okay way to go yeah. well yeah, Alex, Alex later gonna, on just wait yeah he'll, he'll be he's he's the voice of reason on pre-swap moto but once the swap happens he'll he'll have oh, yeah, his he, juicy turn he gets so insufferable later yeah I remember that and then, of course, we do meet one of our other major characters besides the amazing Edgardo. We meet Yao Man. Cassandra. Well, oh, Cassandra, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sylvia, yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but yes, Yao Man. <laughs> or as they refer to him in the episodes, as Boo refers to him, Yao Ming. <laughs> so in the pantheon of famous athletes on Survivor, of course, we have Danny identifying who Gary Hogaboom is, and we have Dawson identifying who Jeff Kent is, but I'd say that the the cream of the crop is Boo being able to see through the facade and see that, yes, this short, shriveled Asian man is indeed famous basketball player Yao Ming. <laughs> Just A-plus work by Boo there, by Kenward Boo Burness. <laughs> they do like a lot of these kind of little like quick character scenes where they're introducing them here, here, here. I always love the, the Yao Man scenes preceded with the Cassandra scene. And uh, I love her. Qu- they're, they're just clearly trying to find the next Suri here. And I love that they introduced her first confessional is about how her like outdoor experience to this point was that she'd been like 10 feet off the road. And I just like, have this image of like, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like she had to bury a couple <laughs> bodies. Like, like <laughs> You're going down like the highway and can't make it to the next rest stop, and so you've gone ten feet off the road to go to the bathroom, take a Cecilia, and then get back in the car. Like, what is that? <laughs> ten feet off the road. I also, love I just, little, I love the scene where where it's the it's the boo scene where he says to Yao Man, he's like, "I'm Yao Man." He's Yao Ming. He says Yao Man. He says Y A W or Y A U M A N. He says 
Nice to meet you. Yeah, man, I'm Boo. B-O-O. <laughs> I do have to say this is one of the first seasons to bring it down a little bit where a lot of the characters are kind of playing nicknames and characters, yeah. which becomes, becomes a problem kind of later later seasons. And this is one of the first ones where you see it where a lot, like almost one-fourth of the players are playing as a, as a nickname. And it's, it's like the first time they would like give someone that nickname and let that be their official name on the show. I mean, in Vanuatu, yeah. we had Sarge, but... Never said Sarge on the screen. It always was Lee. So yeah. this is this is a, another shift that we see starting in Fiji that people can kind of put on this character name that they want for themselves. Yeah, and there's yeah. some there's some you can see where they don't really know how to do it on the show. Where Probes refers to Dreams as Dre sometimes, and then of course Rocky is James for a while. So it's like they don't they haven't really decided how they want to go if they want to go full nickname or not yet. Right. Well, but it, Pro, Pro, Probes will never bring himself to say Papa Smurf though. He always says Gary. <laughs> Well, because I think that how it goes is that, you know, Rocky was the name given to him on the island. Like, I'm sure someone had said that at, at some point. But I think that, you know, J- Rocky went into that show just thinking he would be James. Yeah. You know, and, and Dreams chose to make himself Dreams. And that was planned out. And then it seems like Boo has probably been called Boo almost his whole life. So that that's in a sense like jay is actually not my real name but like that's how i would go on survivor so i I see how that goes but like i think it's interesting as you say rocky is really the interesting one because that's what he is on the opening credits and it seems to me like that was a complete fly-by-night nickname that they came up with but they thought it was funny so that's what they went with yeah let's talk about rocky for a second in this opening episode who it's funny a lot of people when they think rocky just think you know asshole screaming at anthony just being a bully but the one thing that strikes me and a couple of people have mentioned this from when i said we were doing fiji is that he's like a poor man's boston rob he's got almost the exact same accent i mean he's got the the, the thick boston accent i always call it the southie accent although i'm sure someone from boston will point out that it's not really a southie accent but it's the goodwill hunting accent and it's it's just again he's the poor man's Boston Rob right down to a lot of the details this season you'll see. I mean his edit resembles a lot of the Boston Rob Mata Amu edit not in terms of like strategic acumen. I mean Boston Rob is playing more of the Godfather game. I would say Rocky represents more of like Boston Rob's unfettered id, where he'll just sort of run about and do whatever he wants. But Rocky is actually kind of in control of the majority on Ravu. I mean. He'll kind of, you know, he'll be in this sort of minority alliance with Jessica and Erica in the first episode that he'll turn on them eventually and he'll get targeted in episode five. But he's usually the one, him and Mookie seem to be like the two that are kind of spearheading the vote almost every episode in this first little batch. I'd even argue that Rocky is the hero of Ravu the first couple episodes, which is something that uh, really surprised me when I was watching. I'd forgotten well, how positive his edit is for the I first don't know. couple episodes. I, I, Earl and his heli- helicopter shots probably begged to differ on that one. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call him the the hero of Ravu Mario, but I would I would call him the, uh, for the lack face. of a better term, the fate, the heart and soul of Ravu. Yeah. Um, and and not in the sense that everyone's rallying around him, but he's the, he's the one rallying cry that they have, and not yeah. that he's necessarily leading or calling the shots, but he's he's sort of the vocal leader that that is that no one is necessarily acknowledging, but they're just going along with it because he he really is just sort of trying to push his will around. And that's how it goes. But let's just talk about really quickly about this opening in the sense that they, they, the 20 slash 19 contestants, uh, exit their boats and they get exit on an island. And I mean, Jeff's not even there. Like, you know, maybe he took the day off because as we'll see in later seasons, like in Samoa, sometimes Jeff likes to have a day off. But 
or they're all at back of camp going, oh, crap, we now have 19 contestants instead of 20. What do we do? I don't know what, exactly what it was, but they basically crash on this island, and they're just left there. It's almost like a, a Survivor Palau in the sense that they just, they're, they're sort of dumped off on, on this thing, and then they, they're just looking around, they find things, and, and, and some of them find fine fruit. Some of them find trees. Some of them find oh. fruit trees. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I did not realize you were setting up the joke there. Yeah. You missed oh your cue. <laughs> sorry. Okay. For those of you who don't know, this is kind of an inside joke, but you will, you will grow to love it and or become sick of it by the end of this podcast. There's a random little scene on, in this opening episode where they're all looking for stuff. They're finding supplies. And out of nowhere, it's almost, it doesn't even sound like his voice. It's like, it sounds like an overdub. But you hear this random shot of Yao Man in the oddest voice. It doesn't even sound like Yao Man. Just kind of an overdub in the background saying, I found a lemon tree. <laughs> it's, it's the most bizarre quote when you hear it. And it's funny, I, when I wrote the Funny 115, I had so many people tell me about that moment. Oh, you got to put in the lemon tree quote. And it's one I never even noticed. But it's one of those things, once you know about it, you can't not notice it. It's such a bizarre little quote. I have a friend, his name is Tyler Barnick. He does the funniest impression of the line. He nailed it. He absolutely can do that line 100% accurate, exactly like it's in the episode. I'm not doing it justice. I'm going to try to get him to record it. If I can get, if I can do that, I will get our editor, Tim Allen, to insert it somewhere here. I found the lemon tree. Or perhaps a hundred different times in this episode. I found the lemon tree. But... Listen for the lemon tree quote. I found the lemon tree. Because there's no reason for it to be there, and it doesn't even sound like Yao Man. I found the lemon tree. But it just is out of nowhere. I found the lemon tree. I found the lemon tree. It's basically when they find the cave for the first time, and they're looking around, and they, they, this, they've got a cave, like a natural sort of shelter, so they don't have to do a whole ton of work. They found all of these sort of fruit trees and, and, and all this you know abundance around, and then... You know, they're talking and they're bonding and, and we could talk about talking and bonding here, but basically they're just milling about and nothing is really happening. Uh, and then Jeff Probst decides to just throw a crate out into the middle of the ocean for them. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, sucks to be you. See ya. Here comes the creek from the instructions and he just flies yeah. off. This is this is the height of Jeff's wet dream about hanging out of planes and dropping stuff out of it. Because I think he does – the opening shot is him out, standing out of the helicopter as well. So he's like, listen, I'll come back on the show and I'll keep doing this. But you better stick me out of as many aircrafts as possible. <laughs> yes. I by the way, all went, I thought they all went, by the way. But I, I love the fact that, like, Jeff – they throw the crate out. And obviously got to get the crate. But, like, all the – especially the men in this thing, like, they're like, what? Everyone in the boat. Let's go get the – and I was like, you know, if they were like in a primitive tribe, like they would have been robbed so hard because they all just went for that one crate. <laughs> let's let's not overlook just a real quick uh, bit of trivia here that Yao Man mentions that he grew up in Borneo, which is very similar climate and you know vegetation to here. So he's basically on his home turf. That's something a lot of people forget that Yao Man's basically playing a home game here. Is yeah, that, is that fact, Cassandra actually- you talked to? What Cassandra? Is it Cassandra, he's talking to in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's when he says he comes. He grew up on the islands of Borneo, and Cassandra doesn't know where that is. Because yeah, she's that's only the ten best. feet off the road. She's like, "Oh, where's <laughs> that? Where's that located?" He's, yeah, he's he's talking. She says, "How do you know this?" And he's or you know because he's he's opening a coconut without a. T- she says, "You can open up a coconut without a tool." And he's like, "Uh huh." And she's like, "How do you know this?" And he's like, "Well, I I was I'm from the island of Borneo." And you can see her go, "Oh yeah, so where's that?" <laughs> Sorry, it was 12 feet off the road, Cassandra. You didn't quite make it there. <laughs> Two feet farther, yeah. 
Is it true that Yao Man was one of the extras in the Survivor bar in Borneo, and that's how he got discovered <laughs> to be on the show? Yes. I'd like a lemon drink. <laughs> a lemon drop. Yes. So, yeah, so here come the instructions. Everyone goes out and get the instructions, and this is where they, get, they bring the crate. Great scene where they bring the crate back to the beach, and all the big tough guys are trying to smash this crate, trying to figure out what's in it, and they're just bashing the hell out of it, and no one can open it. And then let's give it to Yao Man, the science teacher who weighs about 80 pounds isn't about, and is about 95 years old. And Yao Man takes one look at it and says, well, the weak point is the corner. He like drops it on a rock and opens it in two seconds, which is one of the greatest character introductions anybody's ever had on Survivor. That's Yao Man's opening scene where he outsmarts all the big brawny guys. Well, it really is... It's tough, because if you're going to be an elder gentleman or lady and you're going to go on survivor you know i know that survivor has evolved a lot in the many many seasons that it has gone to but it is being a physical liability or no help around camp is going to hurt you at the beginning of the of the episode and you can see yaman does have a couple confessionals who looks at the camera and he he said it at that point he's like well there's a lot of young guys and a lot of brawn around here and i need to prove my worth and you know, he, he did talk about that thing where, you know, they get this crate and like they're like dropping rocks on it and, you know, just <laughs> doing all these things. And, you know, maybe they're like knocking on its side, maybe trying to find a combination lock. They, they don't know what's going on. And then Yao Man just takes it and he, he just drops it on its corner, as he says in the confessional. Hey, it's the weak point. And it opens. And it's like, that's a good way. I think that Yao Man and Sylvia, especially in these first couple of episodes, are sort of a lesson in the, if you are slightly older slash a physical liability on your tribe, there's a right way and a wrong way to go around integrating into the tribe. And Yao Man, you know, he doesn't really, like, outwardly sort of try to demonstrate everything. He just says, hey, could I see it for a second? And he just knocks the box open and everyone's just like, oh, look at this guy. Wow. All right. Cool. And it's like, it, it was a good way for him to sort of demonstrate value without doing a whole ton or sticking your neck out real far. And you're going to contrast that with to Sylvia? Yes. How dare you? <laughs> I, for the record, love Sylvia. She's like, for the longest time, I would have her in my top like favorite contestants of all time. She's in it for a very short amount of time, but I find her absolutely hysterical. Why? She's the, Boba, she's, she's the Boba Fett of Survivor Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> I just think she's a that's good exactly one. I who I was thinking of. I think this the season just did a really good job of throwing in some people who we haven't seen on Survivor to have this this older architect woman who's socially awkward and rubs people the wrong way and is bossy. I just like find her so funny the way she interacts with people and I just really came to really like her because she was a good sport about the whole thing, even though she kinda got crapped on the whole time. I mean, sometimes to her I mean she caused a lot of her own problems in it, but she also got in a really crappy situation yeah. where she gets sent to Exile Island and then she's gonna be on the losing tribe no matter what. I mean she made the best of it and I remember, you know, I, I'm about they weren't doing early show interviews anymore for the pre merge people, but they did go on Survivor Live um, on CBS.com, and I, I watched that. I remember her episode was phenomenal on that. She was great for that hour she was on there. She like gave so much insight and made fun of herself, and um, I've just always found her to be a really fun, you know, short-lived Survivor character. Is it because of the permanent smirk she had on her face? That helps. Yeah. Well, was it, is it true that she was actually the first choice to play the Joker? Oh, boy. <laughs> I will not know how I got these scars. <laughs> I will... Actually, somewhat agree with my Paul. face is my face is askew. <laughs> I, I will agree with you, Paul, in the sense that I, she did get a bad uh, she got a bad hand in a lot of ways. But just looking at it objectively, Sylvia is probably in any season of Survivor that you throw her into, she's probably not going to be very long for the game, no matter what you do with her. 
Um, and but I think that with the way she played Fiji, with the way that they used her on the television screen in Fiji, uh, a little screen time, but huge impact every time that she was on. Uh, it, it was a treat. So so right. yes, I mean she has she has the survivor skills of Janet Koth. But who would you rather watch for three episodes, right. Janet yeah. Koth or Sylvia? Yeah, Plus, I'm not, I'm not, I was never going to make the argument that Sil- Sylvia was bad TV. I'm just going to make the whole, you know, probably don't approach the game like Sylvia does because it ain't great. Let's also point out that Paul probably loves her because she falls down very hard in the oil at one point. <laughs> oh, boy, does she. Yeah, top, the, her, her and Papa Smurf are the top two contestants from the season. <laughs> Ooh, episode book. three. It's coming soon. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so Sylvia is the Boba Fett of Survivor Fiji. We're so, move on well, we have we yeah. have we have to get to Boba Fett's, uh, you know, basically demise here uh, and everything like that. In the sense that the crate that they that they went and retrieved basically gives them directions to a stash of some sort, and they're like, "What?" And then you see them sort of hiking and and hacking and going through the forest, and basically they come across just building supplies, like you know, leftover from Survivor All Stars and Rafa, like you know, it was you know, wood and and tools, pickaxes. Uh, hammers and nails and all that sort of stuff, and it has directions on, you know, bring it all back to your your cave there, and it gives them directions on how to build like a central area and and a and a porta potty and uh, a kitchen area, and they basically have to then build themselves a palace on day one. Oh no! Oh no! No! <laughs> <laughs> at least, yeah, at least so- they're not going down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they get all their stash again for unprecedented in Survivor history, where they get this many materials and building supplies, and they come down and they have full-on instructions on what they're supposed to build, which again will one day become Moto Camp. And then yeah, thank God we have Sylvia there. Sylvia, who happens to be an architect, is is just born to do something like this. So yeah, this is where Sylvia will first uh, seal her fate in the game for becoming too bossy. Yet at the same time, she builds a kick-ass shelter. It's probably around this time that I might want to bring up. Well, probably one of the most left out elements in Survivor history, which is this whole idea of the day one alliances of the explorers and the shelter builders. And I'll, I'll try not to take too much time here because this will probably have more repercussions later on, specifically when the swap happens. But basically, once they got the in- instructions to build the shelter, everyone basically divided off into two camps. Uh, a group of people that explored the island and a group of people that stayed behind to build the shelter. Uh, so the explorers were Liliana, Rocky, Mookie, Edgardo... Alex, Erica, Jessica, Rita, Michelle, and Dreams, whereas the people that stayed behind to build the shelter were Earl, Yao Man, Boo, Gary, Cassandra, Anthony, Sylvia, Stacy, and Lisi. And basically what had happened was, as the explorers were out, apparently Liliana and Rocky kind of got together and said like, hey... We don't know. We might be all going to tribal council as one big group of 19. We have 10 people right here. Let's form an alliance. And then what happened is Dreams apparently brought this information back to the shelter builders, sort of like uh, foreshadowing to what he's going to do with the four horsemen later on at the merge. They found out about it, and Earl said, okay, we're going to be in alliance now, and with Dreams, we're going to have the majority. Of course, none of this came to fruition as the two tribes were soon divided up, but it's going to have a lot of repercussions later on, one of them being that, as a result, Earl never trusted people like Mookie, Edgardo, and Alex, and Rocky, which sows a lot of seeds of distrust, specifically as we get later on into the fall of the Four Horsemen. That was good background information, Mike Bloom. Well done. Nice job, Temp. And I will say one more thing is that there were also some sub-cross alliances forming as well, because there also was some paranoia that 
as we said before, the tribes might be divided by race. And so there was an alliance that formed between the five African-Americans. So Earl, Cassandra, Dreams, Erica, and Anthony, and also the five Hispanics of Liliana, Lisi, Alex, Edgardo, and Rita. Um, though the Hispanics will probably fall apart more often, but we'll see the African-American li- alliance kind of come to a head here in the next episode when Anthony's going to be really unsure as to getting rid of Erica. And I'd say this is probably the one reason why. It's an interesting start to the season, and it's something that they obviously they do it in Palau, and they do it here in Fiji. Um, it, One World has its own weird thing with the two tribes on the same beach, but it, it having this sort of uncertainty, dropping everyone on the island and not dividing them up into tribes right away, and just have have everyone go out and form bonds, I think is a really interesting thing. And and what what hurts it, I think, in a lot of the narrative of this season is the fact that I think as, as Mike has sort of hinted at is we've had this explorers versus shelter builders and then some people along, you know, maybe some uh, of the ethnicity divides and stuff like that. The, these sort of like trusts and mistrusts and, and things like that happen to where a lot of times when people are dropped into Survivor, a lot of their original allegiances are just to their original tribe because that's how they were randomly or, you know, just sort of placed at the beginning of the game. But because we have this sort of period where we don't have tribes yet and things form it sort of hurts the game later on because once we get into tribes right away we're going to get into this haves haves nots sort of situation and it creates tension between the two tribes the have and the have not situation but once swaps and merge happens they sort of go back to these lines that they sort of formed in these original days where they didn't have tribes yet and so there is no big i24 payoff or some sort of you know little upsetting big because things are a little more fluid or and or more obfuscated by what where people are going in these alliances all right obfuscated there's a word we're going to teach james perfect segue (laughs) perfect segue yeah one of the great scenes in the opening of fiji here this uh, actually some really great moments in this episode Mm -hmm. and one comes right here in the the building and i wrote about this on the funny 115 where you know sylvia's mentioning all these things they need to do to build the shelter and then she says, uh, this wall over here, it's, uh, what did she say? <clears throat> it's a skew. Yeah, this, so James, this, guy, this guy over here is a skew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so James, of course, says, what's that word? A scoot? And so Sylvia has to say, a skew. And it's this little, uh, again, I always say it's Survivor's this great show where you have people from different walks of life who never would have interacted in any other scenario, all of a sudden having to, having to communicate. Uh, Rocky has no idea what a skew means. He's like, could you please, you know, <laughs> we're going to have a game here. Every time there's a big word, we're going to explain to me what it means. And she goes, oh, uh, I'm sorry, it means non-orthogonal. <laughs> it's just such a fantastic Sylvia moment. Yeah, oh, oh, much better. Thank you. I got it now. And then James is like, there's another word I don't know. <laughs> just a great little character moment that I love from this episode. There's a lot of good character moments here, and you can see little things, things that pan out, things that don't, but you can see like Erica and Jessica talking to each other and saying we need to look out for each other's backs. Well, we need a guy. And you, you see, like, uh, different things sort of forming. And, you know, even, you, you know, I'm jumping the gun slightly, but, you know, there's either in this episode or the next episode, you can see, like, Dreams climbing a tree and Gary Papa Smurf with him. Like, there's all these little moments in these first couple of episodes of Fiji. Just search them out. And they, sometimes they don't necessarily shine a light on them, 
but they're there. And, and that's sort of, it's a, it's a richness to these episodes that I really enjoy. Oh, oh yeah, Jay, the Erica Jessica conversation. That's top three <laughs> moment for Fiji. Good point. I, I knew he was going to jump on that. I knew he was too, but you know what? This <laughs> is the guy, job. this is the guy who's touting Sylvia forever. So <laughs> yeah, Paul just got wrecked. I'm going to punch your face and it's going to be so non-orthogonal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, so again, they get all these building supplies, more supplies than anybody has ever got in the history of Survivor. They get detailed instructions on how to build a palace, yet at the end of the first night, they still have not uh, finished their roof, and they get rained on, which is a fantastic start to the season. It makes sense considering that apparently half of them were gone the entire time doing helicopter (laughs) shots at the top of the island. Right, you can can get hammer and nails and stuff like that, but you still have to put it together, right? And it's, I think that more than anything, you saw Earl talk to him Sort of at the end where he's, you know, because they're like, we got to get this stuff done. You could see them sort of arguing about things to go. And Earl's just like, look, we got to get this done. The sun's coming down. Like, we don't have enough time, you know? And it's like, I think more than anything else, like Mike said, they they split up and half of them weren't building the shelter. And it's like, it just didn't get done. Not that they sucked. It just, they just (laughs) didn't do it. It's it's uh, by the way it's funny uh, that you compare the season to Palau Jay because there's a lot of parallels to Palau we're going to hit as the season goes along. Yeah, oh, one yeah. thing I I just have it in my notes all over the place. Wow, just like Palau, just like Palau. Right down to the fact that dreams. I, I guess we're jumping a little far ahead, but he's going to be, in my opinion, one of the most tragic figures in Survivor history, and it's so similar to Ian in Palau that it's striking when I watch it. So just well, one thing to kind of keep in mind. Let's talk a little bit about dreams here because I feel like one of the next big scenes here, aside from Yao showing Earl how to make tea apparently is we get this sort of we got a, a little bit of confessional from dreams in, in the in the past in this episode this is where he tells his big quote-unquote sob story about how he was homeless as a kid and he you know he had to help his family along and it's interesting we very rarely get the opinion of survivor is easier compared to the life that i once <laughs> lived and so I, there's one thing that dreams brings to the season it's the fact that he actually thinks survivor is an easier competition than the, what the life that he actually lives <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of stunning when you watch the season, especially at the start, when you realize what a huge hero edit Dreams gets, because that's not his reputation. A lot of people think you know he was just a terrible Survivor player. He was just stupid. He did all these crazy, you know, uh, impetuous things. But yeah, it's when you watch it, he really does get the hero edit right at the start. He's the, the good guy of the season. Although that's going to waffle back and forth all throughout the season. He he's got a yes. really interesting character arc. The hero who gives the great quote: "All the white people raise your hands." <laughs> At risk of saying this, I mean, what we can see from Dreams, especially in this first episode or two or three, is that Dreams, as 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 he points out, you know, he he was homeless for a while, and so you know, he, his his survival every day was basically just trying to live, get food, uh, get get a shelter, get some clothes on his back. So you know, he was not concerned with you know, high education or, or things like that. Like dreams is not super book smart. And I mean, we poke fun at, at, at his expense in some of those areas, but I would dare so far as to say that dreams is extraordinarily complex of a character that is shown uh, in this season. So please pay attention to him because he goes on a roller coaster and it's not just because he himself goes on a roller coaster, which he does it, it, emotionally throughout this sort of journey, but you know, they, he, he's not all good or he's not all bad and he's not all dumb and he's not all smart. Like they, he goes through all, all these sort of phases. He's complex. Yeah. And, and, and dreams is well, dreams is world outside of survivor. A roller coaster is where you take the shopping cart down the hills of San Francisco. <laughs> You think he can afford San Francisco? That's not where I'd go if I was homeless. 
That's true. I, I don't know. It's a rich clientele, so they probably give out more money. I don't know. I, I don't have the homeless uh, strategy mind, but I, that's the assumption I would make. I know how to make a French press. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's wrap up the first day here. You know, they don't build their roof. They get rained on. It sucks. I just wrote in my notes, wow, Michelle Yee is adorable. And then uh, we go to uh, the end of the first night with a great quote where, who is it? I forget who says it, but someone says, I know a twist is coming. This is way too easy. Dun, dun, dun. We also, have, we also have the beginning of, I forgot how much the Dreams-Rocky rivalry is really a big factor in the first five episodes. It's not Bobby, John, Jamie, or Aris and Terry level, but they get into it on this very first night where Dreams decides he wants to start being quote-unquote playful, which means him basically yapping the entire night. And, Ra- and Rocky, to show his personality, just starts going off on night one and starts yelling at him about, you know... I'm not a little girl. You can't talk to me like that. And so they just start screaming at each other in the middle of the night on the first day. And I'm sure these people are thinking, what the hell is going on right now? Well, I love the technicality, too, because, you know, Dreams is not shutting up, right? Dreams is just, you know, saying things that are off the top of his head or, you know, all all the sorts of things that's going through his mind. And so Rocky confronts him and says, you you, you need to stop yelling, bro. You need to stop yelling all the time. And Dreams is like, I wasn't yelling. Tell me when I was yelling. And it's like, at, at the same time, it's like, you know what he's talking about. You, you, you're not shutting up. But at the same time, since Rocky used the word yelling, Dreams is like, I wasn't technically yelling, basically, is this whole thing. And like, that's, that's their argument. It's just, it's super pointless. And it's, it's, it's a good one to have on day one. Yeah, and, and we will see many pointless arguments between Rocky and Dreams in the upcoming episodes. Although there's two things I wanted to mention there, which we should probably throw out there, that not everyone knows. One of the reasons Rocky was, you know, so short-tempered in... Fiji is that he had actually quit smoking the day before Survivor. He actually, I think, like Shane, he went cold turkey and went right on to Survivor. So he was going through detox, which is one of the reasons he was absolutely so touchy through this whole season. And there's another scene here that Mike kind of alluded to earlier where they're in the shelter and Dreams is like, all the white people stand up and they kind of edit it to make it look like Dreams is clueless. I think I read somewhere that if they'd shown that full quote in context, Dreams was actually trying to figure out, since everyone was supposed to be divided by race, who the whites and who the Hispanics were because he couldn't tell them apart, which seems silly in, in hindsight until you realize that Lisi was technically considered one of the Hispanics and no one would know that unless you knew that. So it's just one of those things. So it, it's not quite, he's not quite being as uh, politically incorrect or uh, inflammatory there as it looks like in the episode. He's actually asking a legitimate question like, which five are supposed to be in which group? He couldn't tell. And with that, I believe we were headed into the twist. Is that the next part? Yeah. <clears throat> oh. I, think, I, I think it goes right to day two where, you know, Jeff brings everyone together at the challenge site. And he says, all right, just curious, who was the big leader behind the shelter building? And obviously, Sylvia gets, you know, not pointing fingers, but Sylvia. And <laughs> Renee Sylvia- Seiler update. Renee Seiler update. Actually, this isn't from Renee Seiler. It was from Sylvia herself that she um, said in her exit stuff when she was on Survivor Live that she said actually what had happened is they asked, you know, who took the lead of building the shelter and everyone had agreed that it was Sylvia and Papa Smurf. And so they <laughs> they both are just, they both were leaders in, in their own way. And that what they both had to do is they both had to come forward. They had to draw a rock out of a bag. One had a white rock, one had a black rock, and I can't remember which one was was the rock that decided it. Um, but she pulled the rock that uh, made her be the person to divide up the two tribes. So it really easily could have been uh, Papa Smurf, but for the story of the episode, it just, it's perfect that it's Sylvia. So they, could you imagine that Papa Smurf could have been that relevant to the season? 
<laughs> yeah. No, Papa Smurf would start picking the tribes and immediately would have started getting winded. Yeah, he broke a broke a rib. <laughs> yeah, he, he would have he would have fallen down and not not gotten up there. But yeah, you see how it goes. Uh, basically, because they have nineteen, they have a tribe problem because they can't start out with a tribe of ten and a tribe of nine and have it be you know look survivor's not about fair as we're about to get into but i don't think that they necessarily wanted to do that so i think this is a elegance not the right word but i think this is a pretty neat solution in the sense that they have exile island so they chose to do it this way sylvia is chosen to be the leader and so basically sylvia divides the the remaining 18 people because she's the 19th so she divides them into two tribes of nine and I think they do kind of women first and then they do men and she basically divides and she has some funny things like she talks about the sexy man in the tank top, which is Alex and, you know, other things like that. And then basically once she is done dividing the two tribes, uh, one of them is Moto, one of them is Ravu. Jeff Probst basically says, well, you're not on a tribe and you won't be on one. You're going to exile, Island, but you're immune and you'll basically come back when all the tribes are there, which is like the worst thing ever that can happen to you on the first day. And it happened to Sylvia. And Paul, correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't Sylvia divide the tribes thinking that she would get to pick a tribe at the end of the day, in which case she would have gone with the Moto? I believe that. And, and as, as she's dividing them, I think one of the underlying things is that, that Sylvia and Michelle hated each other. So you notice right away she puts Michelle on the orange tribe, kind of like, and I think you know right away that that's the tribe she doesn't want. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, Sylvia and Michelle. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. But That's good. So it's, it's funny when Sylvia doesn't know some of their names still. And, you know, I mean, granted, is what, day two? But she's like, uh, pointing to Lisi is like, uh, 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 what's your name? And then she uh, also gives some nicknames, like to, uh, what did she call Alex, the guy in the sexy, sexy, sexy green? I, yeah, my favorite yeah. is, for, is for Yao Man. She goes, Wild Man. She goes to Jeff, like, I call him Wild Man. Like, Jeff did it, like, I know. I did, there's yeah. not a man named Wild Man out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my nickname for him. <laughs> That one didn't stick. Of all the nicknames, that one didn't stick. <laughs> that basketball player, the one who looks shorter in real life, wild man. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough for Sylvia. I mean, as as socially awkward as Sylvia is, this is not a good draw for anyone. Even if you are very socially uh, adept person, you don't want to basically spend the first couple of days away from everyone when they're forming bonds. So, and and it was tough. I you know, and also, you know, Sylvia doesn't play it exactly right in all senses but again the first task they're given on day one is to build a shelter and they all sort of just lean to her because they have sort of architectural blueprints for lack of a better word and she's an she's an honest to god architect so they're like well why don't you look at this and discern it so she's sort of giving orders to everyone now where sylvia goes wrong is we don't see a lot of shots and i'm not saying that she didn't do it but we don't see a lot of shots of sylvia actually building which you know she could have just been like okay this needs to go here here help me do this and you know, you saw a lot of shots of her just sitting on a rock and pointing and dictating, and that never goes well on day one when you're doing that thing. So then she gets this reputation of she's bossy, which may or may not be true, but it's like she didn't play that exactly right. But it really sucks that she has to basically wait for an entire immunity challenge and a tribal council vote off so that she could go on the losing tribe. And, you know, she wouldn't be the first architect who was labeled as being bossy and giving lectures because we all remember Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch doing the exact same thing. So she's now been compared to Boba Fett and Mike Brady. I thought you were going to talk about Rafa, and I was like, how dare you, sir? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Rafa is a saint and a hero, and I will not have you do that. He's the hero of Panama. 
All right, so Sylvia gets sent to Exile Island. We have our two tribes, and this is the, after I'd forgotten about this until I watched the episode, that Exile Island is full of sea snakes, hundreds of sea snakes, which, if I recall from my basic biology class, are like one of the most venomous creatures in the world. Like, you, you get bit by one, you're dead. It's one of those things, like, there are very few times in Survivor history where I thought people were legitimately in danger. One was in Africa when the, you know, the, lion, the lions were going to jump over the Boma Wall. But like, I don't know how close they were to the sea snakes, but it just seemed like an extraordinarily bad idea to send people out to an island full of sea snakes. And I always wondered if that was really as dangerous as it sounds, because I know those things are super dangerous. I mean, we'll see next episode that Earl gets up close and personal with one. I can't remember, though, through the rest of the exile visits we see in this season, if anyone else really gets up close and personal with a snake. Maybe it's, again, it's, it's sent on the cutting room floor, but maybe production has some sort of, like, barrier set up. But, yeah, Jeff, Jeff makes a point of saying how it's filled with hundreds of deadly sea snakes, which I agree is not exactly the best thing in terms of liability that you want to set up for your season. <laughs> no. Yeah, just one of those things that struck me. Like, what the hell would they send them to the sea snake, sea snake island? All right, so, uh, yeah, so we get to the first challenge. This is the first immunity challenge between the new Ravu and Moto tribe, and this is one where they race chariots, where they tie a bunch of people in the front of a chariot like a horse and have them race along an obstacle course, which Gary, Papa Smurf, is in fine shape for a challenge like this. Perfect way to start off the survivor experience. So yeah, the first one to get all the pieces, they have to untie these bags, they get a knife and they cut the rope and if they drop their tribe flag and the first tribe to win to get that wins immunity. And I have to say the immunity idol in Fiji, one of my all-time favorites, it's basically a giant axe stuck through a skull. Although it's really more like a halberd if you know your Dungeons and Dragons, like a halberd with an axe with a skull in the middle of it. And uh, not only do they win the awesome immunity uh, idol, but they also... This is where Drift finally drops the twist of the, on this, of the season on them. The winning tribe gets to live in the shelter they just built, the greatest shelter in Survivor history, and the losing tribe goes to a different beach where they get a machete and a pot, and that's it. All right, so I feel like we could maybe take a minute to talk about this, because this is one of those tris, twists that I don't know. I know Mario, you probably have a different opinion about this than I do, but... This is one of the things that I can't imagine why the producers thought this was going to pan out whatsoever. I can understand mental willpower might help you through a good portion of the game, but the fact that you are depriving one person, one tribe of basic necessities while giving the other the lap of luxury, there's only so much mental willpower that can cause Rabu to do pretty well in the challenges. It's, it's not any sort of coincidence that Rabu only wins one challenge in the next, what, like eight episodes? It's... It's. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of like episodes two and three is because it's so centric on how much Ravu is basically wilting away, uh, which is not exactly fun to watch. And I would say that it's a bit of a debilitating thing in these first five episodes. Yeah, I was going to say you're not alone. Obviously, I mean mm-hmm. this is historically when I hear people say they hate Fiji, this is inevitably what comes up. Like the haves versus haves not was unfair. It wasn't good TV. I can't believe they thought that would be a good idea. It didn't work out. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. That is the argument. And again, what you think of Fiji inevitably kind of ties in with whether you think that was a decent idea for a TV show. But I do have to point out, this is something a lot of people wrote us about this week, is that we have, you have to point out that The Apprentice did the exact same thing the exact same time. That The Apprentice also had a season of haves versus haves-nots at the exact same time that Survivor had one. So it's like all of a sudden Mark Burnett kind of had a boner for that, that, that theme, and he just decided we're going to do it in two shows and... He just thought that was the greatest thing all of a sudden. And yeah, he, <clears throat> I don't know. He, I'll let you guys go ahead. He, he had read The Prince and the Pauper to his daughter and thought, like, wait a minute. 
this is a season. <laughs> yes. And again, the Apprentice haves versus haves not was not received well at all. That's a lot of people think that was the season that kind of killed the Apprentice and basically made Donald Trump and NBC come back and do a celebrity version because that absolutely destroyed the Apprentice that season. And uh, I, obviously, everyone has an opinion on versus haves versus haves not. I'll kind of save mine for the end because I happen to think it was a great idea and I love it, but it's for a different reason that I think you guys will give. So I just want to hear what you guys say about it. I think I know your reason. Um, but I'll let, I'll save it and I won't spoil it for you or for anyone like that. Um, I think that, okay. Cause big brother, uh, does this sort of a microcosm in and of itself where they, sometimes they, they put people in a, in a have and have not situation where some people get, you know, good food and some people have to live in a room with shitty beds and, you know, crappy food and stuff like that. But it's usually temporary in the sense that, you know, people get out of there and then they cycle through and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like, this was an idea that I think was going to rear its head on Survivor at some point. They were going to do something like this at some point. So they got it out of the way in the Fiji. Congratulations. But I think that a lot of people really were like, hey, you know, what will happen if you take people in, on Survivor on a desert island in the social game and you give some of them really good stuff and some of them nothing? It's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? The people with nothing are going to basically starve and die. And, and so now that we've seen it sort of happen... I think that they can sort of never do it again, per se. But I think, more than anything else, I think this is an idea that they thought through, kind of. And there are some, there are some things that we're going to talk about in future episodes where I feel like, with a couple of a- additional tweaks, this actually could have been a really dynamic twist. But as it was, basically, it worked out sort of as everyone expected, that Ravu was going to basically start losing challenges and they sort of did nothing to help him and just been, okay, well, this is Oolong 2.0. They're just basically dying. Let's film it. Yeah, I mean, I would, um, I would mimic a lot of what Jay is saying here. That I don't think, I think the logistics of it is what kind of killed it. Um, like the idea behind it was actually like, you know, a twist that wasn't that crazy and something that people could relate to and it was something that people could um get behind but i think just the way logistically how it worked out and i don't know that i have that many better options for how the twist could work out um but i've come to like just kind of embrace it and not hate it as much as i used to i would say if you do a, a has versus have nots type of idea and this is totally bastardizing the idea but i would almost do what they did in, in the apprentice season three where if you decide to like recruit these contestants, recruit a group of 10 people who have the most in America, then recruit like, you know, 10 quote unquote blue collar people or in James's case, like former homeless people, and then have those two people compete almost like what they did in the apprentice with book smarts versus street smarts. I feel like that's a way you could do quote unquote has versus have nots without outright doing one person, one tribe gets a giant luxury camp and the other one gets basically nothing. Yeah, and one thing I will say, though, is for those of you out there that are basically like that you don't like this twist because it's inherently unfair in that, you know, half of the people on the show are are getting, you know, a massive advantage over the other half of the people, get over it. It's a TV show. It's okay. Survivor is not inherently fair. That is a big trigger point in mind when people are like, I love Survivor because it's this pure strategy game. No, it's not. There's so many unfair things that happen all the time. And in fact, most of people's favorite seasons, these uh, fans versus favorite seasons, are in here, are even more unfair than this haves and have-nots thing with the people that come back and have played the game versus the people who have not. So don't even with that. That's not why I think that this twist failed, was, was the fact that it was inherently unfair. Yeah, it was unfair, and it was a bad shake to be on Ravu, but you know what? It's Sylvia's fault. Get over it. Yeah, I, I was going to say that 
See, for me, one of the reasons I like this twist, and I actually disagree with you, Jay. I don't think this was a poorly thought out twist, and I also don't think the producers didn't try to... Uh, that's a lot of negatives. I also don't agree that the producers didn't try to fix it along the way. I think the producers were doing all they could to try to help Ravu, and it just didn't work. But it was just I think that was more bad luck than anything. I think this was a very well-thought-out twist that I think worked exactly like it was supposed to. And it just ties in what you just said, that this is, again, you have to... It depends on how you watch Survivor. It's really a mindset thing. I don't look at Survivor as the game. I don't, I've never looked at it as a game. It's a TV show. So what happens in the game itself is really like uh, irrelevant in a lot of times. I really, all of the only reason there is a game is to make footage for the TV show. And to me, I always looked at this haves versus have-nots, and it's basic social psychology. Basically, if you have, and it's, uh, I always go back to rats. There's a rat experiment that we learned about in psychology class that if you want to get rats to kill one another, put two rats in a cage and every day give one of them a piece of food. And just keep doing that and eventually one rat will end up dead. That's just, that's basic social psychology. That's what jealousy does. That's what guarding resources does. If you put limited resources, if you put two, uh, more than one per, uh, 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 character or more than one uh, creature going after limited resources, eventually one of them will kill the other one for a resource. That's just basic social psychology, humans, animals, anything. So basically that's all this is when I watch the season. It's like when you may have a survivor season, and this is something I came up with in my stories I learned really quick, the story works so much better when the two teams hate each other. Every single time I wrote a story, I tried to get it as fast as I could to a point where they just absolutely loathed one another and they wanted to kill the other tribe. And this is really a really easy way to do that. It's kind of a cheap way to do it. I mean, it's it's the, the producers obviously fudging the drama and trying to force it. But that's all it is. We give all the stuff to one tribe, nothing to the other one, and they're going to hate each other. That, that other the, the tribe with no resources is going to hate the other one so badly very quickly because that's just what humans do. So to me, I find it a very compelling concept, even though, yeah, it's kind of cheap. It's not fair. It's not a good game. If you're looking at Survivor as a game, it's a horrible idea. But just as a TV show where you're trying to spell out basic social psychology and getting the tribes to hate one another, this is a fantastic way to do it. And I, that's why I disagree that it was not well thought out at all. I think it, what happened is exactly what they wanted to happen. Like The producers don't care who wins. They don't care what, what the actual boot order is. They want to see... One tribe absolutely fucking hate the other tribe, and it become very heated. And that's really what happens in episodes, especially three, four, five, when Rocky gets un- unhinged and they start fighting and stuff. There's some legitimate hatred and heat between these two tribes, and that's something you dream for as a television producer. So, I, and I, again, I, I, I might not make the greatest TV product for everyone, and I agree. If you're watching this for a game to see a competitive game of back and forth, it's not the greatest idea. To me, just watching this as a psychology experience, and like as a TV show, I think it's fascinating that it happened, and I'm glad they did it. And again, they shouldn't do it again. I'm glad they did it once, though. Well, I mean, I disagree with that in a way, in the sense that I don't, I don't necessarily think that these two tribes absolutely hated each other. I really yeah. don't. Like, I think well, there, were, one, there were like a, there were a handful of individuals that didn't like each other, but I don't think like Michelle vehemently hated Cassandra. You know, it seemed like it was Rocky, Dreams, and Boo were the only three that were really. You have confessionals of Alex being like, "I feel bad for the other tribe." You know, people outright pity Rabu. I don't think you got the. You, you definitely got a response from Rocky to a one on a, on a, a one way rivalry, but I feel like Moto didn't really give a shit either way. 
Yeah. Other than then just kind of getting cocky and soft. And it's, it sets up a comeback storyline. Like you, you basically force one tribe to be the smug, arrogant bastards. Right. You force the other tribe to be the big comeback kids that have nothing going for them. And again, if there was a comeback, this would have been the greatest storyline ever. And right. I think, I think the producers really, really tried and it just didn't work out. And it's, well, I don't think it was the twist's fault. Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think that it's not necessarily inherently the twist's fault, but I think here, here's one thing. How about previous seasons of Survivor? Once you go to Tribal Council, you get a flint because you've had fire. Mm-hmm. Like giving Ravu water, you know, or the yeah. ability to boil water might have helped, but they said no. And in fact, they weren't going to give them water. Like, you know, and I, I obviously I'm spoiling like what a great episode of Fiji we already are at. We're like, we're not even like done with halfway with episode one right now. I guess we are. <laughs> and we're like an hour and a half in, but like, um, they didn't give them water, and it, it seems like they weren't going to give them Flint until they won a challenge, which was never going to happen. But they managed to start fire on their own with a pair of glasses, which sort of saved them, kind of. And so it's like, if, if, if you're saying, I think the producers did all they could to, to pump Ravu up, yeah, give them fire after Tribal Council, but they didn't. Well, let me, let me again reiterate that Ravu comes really close to winning a couple of challenges. So I mean, did Oolong! Something- yeah, yeah, exactly. But I just don't think the the have have not twist was the biggest disaster everyone says it was. I think it was a well thought out twist and it didn't happen to work. But I think it made some good TV. And again, I'm a I'm I'm fully aware not everyone's going to agree with me. I just like throwing out that opinion because I don't think you hear it very often. I don't think it's as black and white that this was an absolute disaster of a twist. Well, I wouldn't say that it was a disaster. I would say it didn't work. And I and I would say that there were some tweaks that would have made it work better for me that we'll get into. Yeah, that's fair. And again. I'm not saying this is gospel or anything. It's just one person's opinion. I know I'm, I think completely differently about this because, and again, I just don't see Survivor as a game. And in fact, I think when the game's more unfair, it makes a better product, and I've always thought that. Well, I think people inherently think that too. I mean, uh, one of the most unfair seasons was Pearl Islands, and it's usually considered one of the top two or three seasons of all time. Yes, but again, not everyone loves Pearl Island. There's some people that hate that twist so bad that they cannot appreciate that season. They're like, it has the outcasts. I will never accept that as a great season. All right, so where are we here? First uh, immunity what? challenge. What? Yeah, Moto, Moto wins because <laughs> yeah, Jessica yeah. bungles the puzzle, apparently. Yes, and yeah, Moto gets back there. And, and uh, yeah, Moto, Moto wins the immunity halberd. They get to go to the Haves Beach, and this is where we start the long, slow, painful descent of Ravu into hell. So Ravu goes back from Tribal Council. Well, we get a shot of Moto going back to their shelter, and they're like, oh, you know, and one of the other things, not only do they win the immunity challenge, they win the awesome camp, but then Jeff's like, there's some, there's some shit for you when you get back there, and plates and, you know, silverware and stuff. So, like, they just give them more stuff. So then Ravu goes to their new place with nothing, and they're basically trying to figure things out. They're trying to basically, you know, they, thank God they give them a cave at least, which is nice. But they still have to get some things in order. And then they're sort of starting to strategize. And we get this scene where Erica is basically like, well, there's me and Jessica and, uh, and, and, and was it James is on their team, the three of them. So yeah. she's like, it's me and Jessica and, and Rocky. Well, there's three of us. We, we could turn this tide. And I'm like, there's nine of you, Erica. <laughs> I also I love also that. Like- Go ahead, Paul. No, go, I was going to say, I also love the um, how everyone's kind of trying to be like optimistic about it. Like, oh, man, this beach isn't so bad. And then Erica's like, this sucks. She's like, why is everyone so like happy about this? This is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I also love Rocky's little Rockyisms throughout 
uh, we got a, uh, throughout the season, we got a couple here where like he's talking about Era, Erica asking if she's like copacetic with trying to figure out who to get rid of, but he uses the term like, "Yeah, you smell me or what," which is like such a weird way to ask. That, like, are you are we are we talking about this? And he also randomly drops a Shakespeare reference by being like, "And what a tangled web we weave." <laughs> Which, like, you could tell Rocky's the guy that, like, thinks he's, like, I'm going to drop in this intelligent quote, and everyone's going to think I'm the brightest guy in the room, when, like, it does not belong in there whatsoever. <laughs> and let's not forget the great moment where uh, we cut to Sylvia at Exile Island. She gets the first clue about the hidden idol, and the first clue is, by the way, it's back at camp. Wait, waste your time out here. So not only do they just screw Sylvia over by having her sit out basically the most important part of the game, but then they give her a clue to the hidden mute idol that that's, you can't look for it here. And on top of that, they put her in a tower that's not orthogonal. <laughs> that's why her, her happy smirk turns to a sad smirk for a little bit. All right, so we go back to camp and we're about to lose the uh, very compelling character of Jessica. I'll be honest with you. You know, this is this is a season where you know, you know, in uh, in in uh, Survivor All Stars, they play that game, uh, the Survivor trivia game, and then up to that point, it was the the tiebreaker was name all the first boots from every season up till then, which was only seven or so. Easy stuff, right? First seven. I I think like if you had the thirty plus seasons of Survivor for me and said name the first boot for the season, I'd probably miss Jessica. I would absolutely miss Jessica. I didn't even remember there was a Jessica until I watched this episode. <laughs> Yeah, well, well even like, the, I rem- you go first, Mike. I was gonna say, well, even the circumstances of her boot are not really that interesting. It's basically that like everyone Mookie leads the charge to be like, oh, she screwed up the puzzle, she should go home, and then the alliance of Rocky, Erica, and Jessica realize like, oh yeah, we're screwed, but we're still not gonna vote for Jessica. We're all gonna split our votes, and that's literally how tribal council breaks down, and that's it. <laughs> Uh, a couple memories I have with Jessica was that when I first showed the season to Alice, she watched it quite a few years after it had aired, and it usually takes her, you know, a couple episodes before she got everyone's name down and kind of know what was rolling. For some reason, like, something that Jessica did in her few confessionals just kind of pissed her off. So, like, Jessica would start talking, and Alice would say, oh, shut up, Jessica. And, like, she knew her name, like, right away. And I'm like, no, like, don't waste your learning your name on this one. She's going to be gone so fast. Um, and the second thing I remember is, I don't know if people remember from the time, if there's any Big Brother fans, that she was supposed to be on season four of Big Brother. She was one of the exes that was going to come into the house. Um, um, but at the last minute, she had talked to her ex. Then he said he was going on the show, and she realized what the twist was, and so she backed out. So we could have had a forgettable Jessica twice. Wait, so her ex, beauty, still, oh, her, her, her ex still went on the show, though? Well, that's not what I'm, I'm not 100% sure on. I, in my mind, I think her ex might have been Nathan from season four, if anyone... Um, listening knows more about that that's what i have it in my mind i was trying to dig up the information on it and the only thing i can find right now is definitely that she um she quit going on big brother like right before it started and so it's not i'm not 100 percent sure if that was her ex in the house or if her ex also did not enter the house because she backed out oh, holy I really shit wish her- yeah she was the melissa mcnulty of big brother yeah truly oh um- I I, th- I wish her ex was Jack from Big Brother Four. That's the one that I wish. Maybe the six-year-old FBI guy. <laughs> so so all this on Big Brother historians. So so we, we've spent a lot of time. So I guess we could move forward and just say, Rip and Peppers, Jessica, you were the Melissa McDelty of Big Brother. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's move on to the captivating scene of licking leaves now. <laughs> 
Yeah, here we go. Episode two. We've lost Jessica. We've lost the momentum of the big Jessica character. <laughs> so we lose Jessica, which, again, I think Mike and I pointed out earlier that these first couple boots, for the most part, it was probably a blessing in disguise that the people that went home went home. So Jessica, who looked like a nothing, went home. And uh, basically, Jeff Probst is like, yeah, I'm not giving you Flint, which, you know, kick them while they're down. So basically, Ravu goes back and... You know, they don't do a lot, a lot of the things, or at least on camera, where at that point they're like, we're just drinking the water anyway. They were very, apparently very good about, well, we can't drink the water because we can't boil it. So they're basically like sucking bamboo or like not bamboo, but like planks of wood because there's some moisture on them. I found a bamboo leaf. I found a lemon tree. <laughs> Again, I didn't note it, it was in the previous episode as well, but just that scene of Yao Man like doing like a quick tea filtration into the coconut thing. Again, oh. a way to sort of ingratiate yourself and show that you're knowledgeable about the island and yet not pointing and talking. Oh, come oh, yeah. on. Bruce could, Bruce could have made tea like that too. He did. It was t-shirt tea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So... Ravu, all, all the only nourishment they get whatsoever is these uh, the water from the leaves, and then all they have is the coconut. They have to fill their canteens with coconut water because that's all they have. And they have, there's a fascinating, aka not fascinating scene, which is just them chopping coconuts. It's a it's a coconut chopping contest to see who can get the most water in the canteens. And then we get a shot of I think it's Rocky saying we're so weak we can't stand up. And there's a shot of Michelle trying to stand up and walk, and she literally <laughs> can't. She just falls over. Which she falls over. Yeah. This you is have a nice Rocky. Game. Yeah, yeah, this nice is professional. yeah, where he's like, I'm eating clams off the ground, bro. I'm not so <laughs> I was starving here, bro. <laughs> and this is the second episode, and already the people are passing out from lack of nourishment. So yeah, this is where the I mean, perhaps the have and have nots twist may have gone too far already. That, that, yeah, that's, that's what's rough. They're licking leaves off the ground in episode two. Mm-hmm. It's like rough and to not really get that rebound of them like actually like getting it together and like being really like dominant. It's like it's hard to be beat down with, with how how rough it is for them. Yeah, Sari would have been fucked if she was on Rob yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then of course we cut over to Moto. We're gonna see how the better half lives. And this is the one isn't this where Lisi does her weird little Popeye voice? Yeah, the, pop, the Popeye impression is good, by the way. Like, it's really which which good. made me realize that Lisi is kind of the Dave Coulier of, of Survival. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Cut it out, Mike. What a reference! No wait, so Sylvia is now Boba Fett and Mike Brady, and Lisi is Dave Coulier. <laughs> We're out Dennis Millering ourselves here. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So like, yeah, and then, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, like you have like Boo, like talking about how they have too much food. Like I have a scene where like, you know, they're like, oh, there's a little bit of rice left. Does anyone want it? And Boo's like, well, I don't, don't throw it away because I'll eat it in a little bit. <laughs> and there's a great scene if you just like Lisi making weird noises. She's going to make odd noises all throughout the season. It's a little funny one fifteen moment that I did not capitalize on like I should but where where she's standing there and she sees an ant on the table and she smashes the ant with a hammer and she lets out the most obnoxious laugh and I'm trying to remember it's like ha 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 I killed it ha ha it's, just, it's, a, it's a random little fun Lisey moment uh, but meanwhile I'm about to uh, as much as you know Boo is using utilizing that rice for whatever sedentary lifestyle he, he wants to but the, the big uh, storyline with Boo here, and it's gonna be the probably the biggest storyline that Boo has this entire season is that according, according to Dreams, he, he's gonna hurt himself out of the game. 
Yeah, this is one. Everyone told me I should have done this on the Pony 115, and I, I stand by my decision not to because it's really not as good as you think it would be. But there are some fun little moments of Boo repeatedly injuring himself here, which will never have any impact on anything later, but it's fun for like half an episode. Where, yeah, he, he gets something in his eye, and then he somehow chops, he's chopping wood, and he somehow cuts himself with the axe. The axe what goes through his finger and then hits him in the knee, so it's a good shot, or it's like through both. And it's funny because it happens right after all the motos watching him chop wood saying, you know, he's going to cut himself because of the way he's doing that. And then like five seconds later, Boo is in a hammock and it falls. So it's a fun little montage of Boo doing something relevant for once. Yeah, it's, it's a scene. You see Alex trying to, you know, keep everyone together there on that. But but you see it, it sort of sort of peels back the curtain in, in a weird way. It's kind of like the the weird butch quote from Survivor Amazon. With them, you guys be careful with those machetes. They They are sharp. Yeah, which which is funny because it's butch. But on the, on the other hand, machetes are sharp, and you know they're out there with just a machete. And and I guess on on moto, you know they had the tools, the pickaxe, and they had a hatchet, and they had all these other sort of tools. And it's like they sort of talk about it where he's chopping wood, and the, and the axe falls, and they're just like, man, that was so close to his leg. You know, it's you always think about that on Survivor that they're just out there in the woods with just a couple of blunt slash weirdly sharp objects that you know. It's a it's it's a it's a wonder that more people haven't sort of hurt themselves. I guess. Are we supr- are, are we thinking that Boo's last name is actually Scoopin, and he just didn't realize that before applying? <laughs> Boopin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. A lot of people know this, but Boo is the guy who got Russell on Survivor. Correct? Weren't they friends in real life? Yes, and that they're, by default makes him the worst castaway ever. Yeah, I, might I was going to say, yeah, had Boo just used that axe a little harder when he slammed it down, and if he had he accidentally like, hurt himself a little worse, we never would have had Russell on Survivor. So that axe really failed to finish the job. Yeah. All right, what do, <laughs> what do we have here? Now we have Sylvia coming back from uh, Exile Island and the great little Yao man. Yeah. Yes! Some more hot Sylvia action. <laughs> well, well, and this th- one specifically, because this is when we have Yao Man copping a feel. <laughs> yeah, this is a great scene. The, again, Yao Man's got so many great little underrated moments. People, I think, forget how funny he is. Like, he's a good player, a good character, but he's just kind of legitimately funny. Where Yao Man sees Sylvia comes, gives her a big hug, and of course, the only reason he's hugging her is so he can look over her shoulder and look down into her bag to see if she has the idol. I love his that. explanation to her. He's just like, I have to tell you, I got a little nasty. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's you know when you do these rewatches, I think a lot of characters that we initially find as fan favorites kind of fall in our eyes. Rupert is a big example, but from like minute one, from Yao Ming, I fell just in love with the Yao Man as I did the first time watching this, which makes me so happy. Yeah, Yao Man is one of my all time favorite characters. He's great, and yeah, like Jay said, I got a little nasty. You know, <laughs> really. That's and I, how do, I, nasty. I do love that they actually went back and sort of showed Yao Man like cause yeah. the, the scene happened and then they went back and showed him like trying to look in her bag and he was just, I went to look for the hidden immunity idol and it's like I don't even know if he got that great of a look in the bag but <laughs> bless him he tried yeah. and, and, and there's that but it's an interesting thing where Sylvia comes back and what's funny is that she comes back and they all sort of greet her and they're all like did you have water do you have water do you have food do you have anything and you know, Earl remarks it when he goes later, but it's just like she gets on the tribe and like they're already like she just came from Exile Island where she wasn't in the game and had deadly snakes. And they're not worried about her or the clue or anything. They're just like, do you have anything we could live on? Yeah. And she even says, I come back and I feel extraneous. They don't need me here. So really, 
that this is our Sylvia's GG moment already. Oh yeah. And then and then Rocky stops her confessional to be like, "You're gonna have to explain what extraneous means to me. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know that word, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm hungry at it. I'm starving, bro." <laughs> All right. Well, one thing I have on my notes here is that Dreams gets a great little fan favorite quote here, which is also kind of one of the winner quotes. In fact, there was a you can make the argument Dreams has a fairly decent winner edit through the season. Although, again, it comes and goes. He has the the most bipolar edit of anybody, maybe in the first fourteen seasons of Survivor. But yeah, where he gives a quote where he's like, "This is the the quote that Mike was talking about earlier that he grew up homeless. He had to scrounge for food. No one else knows how to struggle like he does." And he's like. He gives the quote, I'm here to help my family. I'm going to help my family when I get back. And it's kind of, you could interpret that as a winner quote. So a lot of people at the time thought he may be the winner around this point. Although we're immediately going to jump to an Earl helicopter shot, which may negate that a little bit. All right, so we go back to Ravu. We have Earl, Rocky, and Erica, and they're just, all they're doing is looking for food. There's nothing going on at Ravu. They need food. They need anything. And Erica of all people, and I had completely forgotten this, that Erica was this relevant to this season, but Erica finds pineapples. Now, yeah. do we wonder if this is one of those, like, production just threw a bunch of pineapples from the store into a bush to kind of help them along a little bit? <laughs> we found some dull pineapples with a sticker on them right here. <laughs> I don't think so, but I, I, you know, they were sort of hidden. Like, not, not hidden hidden, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you probably miss them. It's amazing that Yao Man missed them, but... What are you he was looking do? for lemon trees. Yeah, he, he, found his, he found his fruit. Yeah, he found his fruit of choice already. Yeah. I found the lemon tree. Well, and they talk about because they have shots of them, like, you know, as, as you alluded to earlier, Mike, like with day one, you know, there were the explorers, you know, and obviously Earl was, I think, a shelter builder. But, you know, Earl is leading, you know, sort of, we're going to hike out. And, you know, the, you see a lot of that cresting music where they hike these almost impossibly high cliffs to get this panorama view of the beautiful parts of Fiji. And I'm basically like, you guys are like, weak and falling down i don't even know if that was the best use of your time <laughs> or energy but hey it looked good looked fantastic yeah. and let's point out that not only does earl get the helicopter shot erica also gets a helicopter shot so it's not 100 percent predictive yeah. of who's gonna it's win. A wash <laughs> <laughs> yeah for a helicopter shot for those who don't uh, people are always gonna ask that's where they they someone's up on a hill or something and they'll pan back with a helicopter and you can just see it's like it's like their journey they're at the apex of their journey at the top of the hill they've climbed the hill and when you see that in an episode that generally means this person's gonna win this is their story and earl gets at least two helicopter shots this season maybe more so it's it's they kind of give away that he's the winner later but yeah so when we refer to helicopter shots that's what we're talking about Anyway, they, they realize they've got pineapples there, which is good because once Sylvia's there, because we had that montage of them chopping coconuts to get the coconut water out. But then there's that like there's these random shots of like Rabu's camp where there's like 85 coconut carcasses just scattered around. And I'm just sitting there, you know, they're like, well, we're almost out of coconuts. I'm like, well, no shit. You like cut down <laughs> every coconut on the island. So was, thank God that the producers planted those dull pineapples. Yeah, Sylvia's like, we went up, we found a coniferous fruit. And Rocky's like, okay, what the hell's a coniferous fruit? Oh, pineapple. Does that mean it's going to eat me? Is that what that means? <laughs> All right. Uh, episode two, Immunity Challenge. This is where they have to sail out and get puzzle pieces and build a puzzle pole. And we'll see this a, a few times in the next few episodes, but Ravu actually is in the lead for the majority of this challenge, and then they blow it. 
yeah, they Rabu actually is ahead most of this challenge. They get to the end, and then because Erica's yelling, they're all just screaming at one another. They get confused doing the puzzle poll, and Moto comes back and wins. And, and Moto wins Fishing Gear, which will be the first of at least three times Moto will win Fishing Gear this season, to the point they don't even use two sets of Fishing Gear down the, later down the road. Do they even fish? I don't think they have to because they have, like, freaking butlers bringing them croissants every morning. I don't, think we, I don't think we actually see any fishing going on this season, from what I remember. I mean, we're not on Octopus Island of Cook Islands, but it seems like I, I rarely see people out in the water this season. I know there's some talk of Liliana being saying that they fish and um, do Hunt? some hunting, do she some says. Hunting, yeah. But you're not going to have an idea who that person is for three more episodes, so just, or I guess <laughs> two more episodes, so don't worry about it. Name hasn't been said yet. <laughs> yeah, Liliana's a thing for a little bit. Just, just bear with us. All right, so Moto wins. They uh, send Earl to Exile Island. And this is where we get the scene where Earl, he's uh, given a confessional or something. There's a sea snake that pops up right behind him, and Earl comes and like whacks it in the head. And then Earl gives a great uh, movie quote reference where he says, well, I injured him, but I don't want him to come back like in Saving Private Ryan and kill me later. So he has to go and finish off the snake. So yeah, I, I love how I, Earl I, compares sea snakes to Nazis. I think that's the only winner <laughs> that could get away with a Nazi reference on Survivor. <laughs> Earl Godwin's his season of Survivor in episode two. What a what an absolute you know deity Earl is. He's the best, you know. And then he also has, and I think it's the episode quote where he's just like, well, "I don't want to kill an animal, and I think snakes, most of all, snakes are misunderstood. We have an understanding now. I'm like <laughs> he doesn't understand shit. He's dead. You killed him, dude. Yes, Earl always kind of sneaky, funny. I appreciate Earl, although again, he's not the most dynamic character until you kind of go back and pay attention to him and appreciate him. All right, so we get to Ravu. They're going to go to Tribal Council again. This is going to be a theme, by the way. Uh, so it's going to be either Sylvia, because she doesn't fit in and she's bossy, and because she uses long words that Rocky can't understand, or it's going to be Erica, because she screams too much and she is annoying. <laughs> I just want to give a quick shout-out to the way that Sylvia wears her buff on her head but leading up to Tribal Council. Uh, notice how she walks down the beach and it's like, it's like she tried to put it on, like to wear it as kind of like a headband, but it just is kind of sitting on the top of her head, not fully pulled down. Um, and uh, the whole scene leading up to Tribal Council is so funny with, with Sylvia to me because she's walking around with Rita, just convinced she's gone. And then once she finds out that, oh, they'll be putting off Erica, she becomes like the biggest spokesperson against Erica. She's like trying to explain to Anthony, like, in, in this game, you have to, you have to keep your head. And like, out, Anthony's just clearly so annoyed that Sylvia, this crazy lady with this buff that she can't even put on her head, is lecturing him about, you know, how you have to be in this game. Yes, I guess the important thing that we take from this is this is actually the first scene we see of the growing conflict between Rocky and Anthony. We have a little bit of a scene where like derpy tuba music plays as Rocky tries to unsuccessfully convince Anthony to get rid of Erica. And I think there's a big question mark just watching the show of like, why is Anthony so adamant about keeping Erica? And again, it connects back to this behind the scenes stuff because this African-American alliance had been made and Earl was away. I'm pretty sure there was a loose agreement between Erica, Anthony, and Earl. So, you know, when his back is up against the wall, Anthony didn't want to get rid of a guaranteed ally, which is why even a tribal council, he doesn't vote against Erica. Yeah, but it shows you how stone cold Earl is, you know? Well, Earl wasn't there for the vote. But you know Earl would have voted Erica. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, you're right. Earl wasn't there. He was at Exile Island, and I'm not trying to say that he was there. But, like, Earl, you know, Earl, you see other times, you see, you see Earl say the thing like, I like this person, but 
And it's always the butt, right? And it's, you know, Anthony is not about that life. Anthony is about, you know, sticking with the people that he likes and knows. And Anthony's going to go on a little arc. And, um, you know, it was funny to me because, again, I was not spoiled on the season and I didn't have any boot lists, but I did hear or see one thing. And I was, I remember being very angry at the time because I thought I was partially spoiled because I heard that, you know, you know, we all heard that there was the, the controversial, thing that happens in survivor and then i heard that it was car challenge and then i actually heard the name anthony involved in it so i actually sort of thought that anthony was going to go far in the game and i remember watching it going like this guy goes far in the game i guess you know what's funny i remember hearing that too yeah and so like in my head i just was like well anthony's safe anthony's safe and then you know when anthony goes home i'm like well actually kind of thank god that that didn't pan out so it was it was it was sort of a nice thing but you're right that Anthony and, and Rocky are sort of butt heads here. They're going to they're gonna have some moments here in the next few episodes. Just before we go out of this episode, I have to say how amused I was that Paul remembers what Sylvia was wearing at any one point. Why It somehow does not surprise me that, Paul, you remember exactly which state Sylvia is in, in an, of undress at any point in the season. <laughs> you know Paul at that age had like a vision board up of all these random pictures of Sylvia throughout her three episodes there. I had like two or three pictures. Give me a break. <laughs> I, actually, I actually did have for like a while I had like on my bulletin board I had different pictures of like of my favorite survivors and one I had one of Sylvia with that bandana <laughs> on her head because it was so funny. Well he I couldn't make a not. whole yeah, he couldn't make a whole wall because it's not like he's taken down the Kim Johnson pictures. <laughs> and then Kim, Kim Johnson, she's got uh, 39 days to work with Sylvia, I'm a little bit more limited. Meanwhile, he has a burning trash can that's constantly fueled with pictures of Gene. Ugh, <laughs> don't get started. Don't waste, I'm not going to waste, I think I'm going to waste my printer ink on Gene. <laughs> you sick son of a bitch, Paul. For Here's real. Our so yeah. anyways, to get through this episode, because I, I actually think that episode two is probably the... It's it's probably the low point of Fiji, and I think I think it's the reason why is because we established ourselves in episode one, and I don't think that episode three is all that great. But episode three, they start really focusing on Moto and all of the the flaws that are going on in Moto. Whereas you you really in Moto this episode we get we get dreams of sob story and just uh, Boo is sort of hurting himself, and and they don't really get into the inner politics too too much on Moto. This one, we're really sort of riding the uh, have have not twist more than anything else in episode two, and you sort of figure that Rabu's going to lose, and they do, and we've they established very early that Sylvia is not liked, and you see a uh, random Erica is not respected sort of things, and then so it's it's basically like the two vote the two people going up for the vote are going to be Sylvia or Erica, but. The fact that Erica sort of gets a lot of heat, especially for the challenge performance, it's not necessarily uh, a big surprise that Erica is going to be the one going home, which is fine. Uh, but they don't really do much with Moto or any of the other politics within Ravu. It's just kind of like a here's the thing that's happening. All right, let's get to episode three where we'll start to you know set some things up for the future. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that we we really haven't had Moto being douchey yet. Which it's by the end of the next episode, it's going to be quite clear that. Motos are kind of the bad guys. The Ravus are the good guys. You spend the whole time trying to figure out which Ravu are they building this comeback story around. And you, it's hard to tell. You think it might be Rocky. You think it might be Yao Man. But then you have this weird dreams edit on the other side that's always kind of floating around. Like he's the one decent Moto with a good story. It's really kind of interesting. And I would agree, episode two isn't that great. But it's also not particularly weak. It's just not no. nothing special about it. It's, that's Fiji's one of those seasons. And again, this is why I like it. Like. The ceiling might not be that high, but the floor is pretty high. There aren't really any terrible episodes. Is that floor painted to keep away the ants? 
Oh, yeah, exactly. Nice transition. So, yeah, episode three, this is where they paint their floor. <laughs> yeah, Moto, as if they didn't have enough, now they're given paint so they can paint their shelter, which is just one more thing how they have the most fantastic shelter in Survivor history. Well, that, was, that was part of the drop in episode one. They had paint cans there, didn't they? Oh, they had paint back then? Okay. So this is the first time they really f- use it in, in like a full sense to like functionally seal off their floor so ants can't get up there. And then meanwhile, we cut to, you know, Rava, as you talked about before, Earl comes back from exile and they're begging him for any water or fire and he can't give it. And we have, again, super cute Michelle scene here where she's, she says, dear Mr. Sun, please give me fire. Love, Michelle. And, you know, the, the Lord provides and she gets a hot amber. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pretty good scene. I'd forgotten how powerful the scene is. I mean, if you think about people watching the season as it aired you have two weeks of Ravu just getting beat down nothing good happens for them and now the big moment which you're pretty sure watching this the first time is this is going to be the start of their comeback where michelle yeah i heard i think the exact quote was dear son michelle would like you to come out and play today please participate in my game which is off the charts in cuteness that speech by the way or or michelle is auditioning for her role of jigsaw in the saw franchise (laughs) yeah so michelle is jigsaw to continue on our comparisons yeah (laughs) But it's a great scene. Michelle starts the fire. Everyone at Rabu cheers. And this is like the one moment. It's like, oh my God, here comes the big comeback. This is where this season will start. Right. Again, with probes hyping, this is like an all-time great season. This is what you kind of think watching this the first time. You, you get to see these real reactions, which I think are very good. And you know that's why I think Rocky is such a compelling character, because almost everything Rocky does is like just raw, right? Yeah. Then you see that fact where Michelle gets the, the hot amber going, and then Anthony and, and Earl and some people like basically go get the fire and nurture the fire and, and they're there and the fire starts and they, they, they get it going and they cheer. And then you see like Rita, I think hug Michelle and it's like, Rita's got this look on her face. And I mean, it, it's almost like she's like, we're saved. And I, yeah. and I don't think it's fake. Like they're literally just, they're so emotional over the fact that they have this fire. And it, it's just, it's, it's fun to see a scene like that where they are just all just so, at wit's end and they get the fire and the, the, the celebration is not real like yeah this is good or yeah this is good for my game or yeah this is good for my alliance it's yeah we're not going to die mm-hmm. no I totally agree it's a great scene no, nothing to do with strategy it's just people suddenly being excited they're not going to die and again you could argue again that just points out one of the flaws of Fiji like if that if you get that excited because you're not going to die perhaps it was a little harsh <laughs> it was a little harsh but let's uh, let's oil each other up Yes, this is the GIF-worthy reward challenge. Uh, the first edition of, I think it's called like Slip, Slide, and Score, where they basically ha- there's a big oily like slip, slip and slide, basically, where they have to, two people at a time. And this is actually, we're going to see a lot of like one-on-one competitions coming up in the next few episodes. And this is the first one where they have to slide down the field, grab a number ball, make their way to the end of the course, and shoot it into a basket. And the first tribe to, I think, what, six? I think, yes, for six points wins. And one of the prizes is... Fishing gear again. Yeah, yeah they either you know, get a choice of yeah, their own luxury items or fishing gear or a basket of fruit. You know, I hadn't thought about this, the one-on-one reaction to trying to give um, you know, the, the twist another chance. If maybe they're thinking if it's a one-on-one battle, you have a chance for some of the of the Ravu people to, to beat some of the Moto people. Just a thought I just thought of. Which is which is funny because this is the first in a couple of these one on ones where Moto just absolutely just wastes Ravu. Like it's not 
it's not one of these back and forth sort of things. It's just they pull out to a huge lead in this. Um, this this challenge gets repeated in Heroes versus Villains and is used in sort of the opening shot, as you can see. But yes, this is the the originated of it where they just have the gigantic oily slip and slide where we go. And what's great is that you know what the first the first uh, isn't the first person to go on the slip and slide Papa Smurf. Yeah, exactly. Yep. When you have a challenge involving lack of uh, friction, throw the fat guy on there first and see what happens. <laughs> it's horrible, and it's. Gary, he's the first person to go. He runs. He bails hard. Basically, looks like he gives himself a concussion. Like, what a horrible idea to send him first. Couldn't you at least send someone small so someone like Gary could see how the physics are going to work? But Was he going no, against Earl? Anthony. Uh, Anthony. Okay. He was going against someone who was younger, right? And, you know, a little more physically fit than Papa Smurf was. And it's like, Papa Smurf wins. Like, that's the whole thing. Challenge <laughs> yeah. Is like... The- <laughs> So, like, they run, and, like, they don't really realize, and I don't think the Papa Smurf had, you know, the agility for it as well and all that sort of stuff, but the whole point is that you get a running start, and then you kind of slide your way down the track, and it's like, maybe you can, your momentum will take you to where whatever numbered ball it is that Jeff Probst calls out, but, you know, you get yourself down the track a little ways, but, like, Papa Smurf just completely misses the beginning of the track. Like, he's running, and then he just continues to run on the oily, slicked part, and so basically his feet go right out from under him and he just crashes onto his it's not butt it's just like back and head he just yeah and it, it's it's like a it's a slam and it's like you see him like stumble to get up and it's like you know he's hurt like yeah. he's, he's not saying anything but you're like oh boy i got rear-ended in a car accident about four months ago and gary got hit harder than i did <laughs> like he should see it's gonna seen a lawyer after that challenge he got nailed uh, a couple other highlights from this challenge. I would say Boo absolutely crushes this one. It's, 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 it's rare that we see, I think, a lot of like physicality from Boo because he's a larger guy and he's more injury prone. But he like slides in, grabs the ball, makes it in one shot, and just runs back like it's a lap. He kills it. And the other big one, uh, besides Gary falling, is Sylvia, uh, who falls on her ass, much like Papa Smurf, and then just cannot paddle her way through. <laughs> There's just this hilarious shot of her just swimming in place, and it's the most <laughs> pathetic but funny thing that happened in this challenge. I, I don't know if it's pathetic. Can we use, like, a different word? I was just like, going to say, for, for Sylvia reactions, let's, let's sexy. <laughs> yeah. sexy? Yeah, sexy, perhaps? I mean, I, I do picture the outfit very clearly with the Coconut oil drip. I'm, I'm just gonna stop right now. Did you have to go retreat to the bathroom, Paul? <laughs> With the buff that flew off her head because it wasn't <laughs> tied on, you know, very tightly. So we're gonna come back for Paul two, part two, and Paul's gonna be divorced because of this. <laughs> I'm just gonna mute myself for a while. Talk to you in a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, and what's funny about Sylvia in that challenge is she hits her head. That's the thing people remember the swimming, but she cracks her head as hard as Gary does. Like this is a legitimately dangerous challenge. I do like the 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 boo thing that you mentioned, Mike, because yeah, he he gets the running start and he like slides all the way to his ball in like one slide, collects his ball, keeps sliding almost like all the way to the end of the track. Like it's just one continuous motion, and then he pops up and just throws it in the basket on the first try. Like it, it it's it's quite amazing. It's probably why Russell voted for him for the Survivor Hall of Fame that one year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, they're sort of. It's funny because a lot of people don't do very well in this challenge. Like. You know, for all of his bluster, if you notice, Rocky didn't win his heat either. So there's there's that sort of thing going on. But, you know, they're, they're sort of showing that Sylvia is an outcast and that Sylvia is bad at challenges. It's not like a huge theme in the in the season. But it, again, it's it's a whole thing where, you know, 
it's another reason why Sylvia is going to go home, basically, is that she's not, she doesn't perform well in the challenges. And it's like they sort of make it a point to show Sylvia failing at this course really horribly. And they also make it a point to show that not only did Sylvia swim in place, crack her head really hard and move, she was like inching her way along the the track at the end. But, you know, whoever she was against, which was like, I think, I don't know who it was, but whoever she was facing against basically finished before she even could go throw. One. It was Liliana. Like what? it was some woman named Liliana. Yeah. Liliana, <laughs> Liliana beater. And it's like, they, they made it a point to show Liliana, like already having her ball and like trying to sh- shoot it in the hoop. And she's failing and failing and failing. And Sylvia's still not at the hoop. <laughs> and then finally Liliana gets it in, which was probably like 85 minutes later, but Sylvia <laughs> still wasn't at the hoop. And they, you know, Probst is, Probst's narration is not what it is in modern times. Like, you know, if this were modern times, Probst would have probably be yell- would be yelling biblical threats at Sylvia at this point by how poor she did in this challenge. And, and we don't get any of that. But the editing is showing you Sylvia is horrific at this challenge. By the way, I'm still laughing about the fact that you pointed out that Papa Smurf actually beat somebody in his round. I'd forgotten. He did! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Rocky was right about Anthony if he's losing to Papa Smurf. Yeah, he loses. You know, to he loses to Papa Smurf twice because he also loses to pick snouts at him at the end of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> pa- Papa Smurf is the Anthony dream killer, is what he is. But like, pa- not only, but you see Papa Smurf win, but because he's so hurt, you see him like he's tossing the the ball and he gets it in the hoop, and they're like, you know, Gary wins the point, and then you just immediately see him like slump over, like, oh god. <laughs> The only thing I, I kind of wrote at the end of my notes here is this was a fun challenge. Yeah. And it really kind of was. Yeah. And we get to the end. The last round is Yao Man versus Dreams. And we set up a nice theme that's going to come back later where uh, Lisi sees that Yao Man is trying to compete with somebody in a challenge and she laughs at him. She's like, ha, well, Yao Man. And this is going to, it'll become a running theme where there's a payoff later. So just kind of keep that in mind. So they send Sylvia back to Exile Island, which is, again, probably the, uh, the cherry on top of her poo-poo day in terms of biffing the challenge and now being separated from her tribe once again in seven days. And nothing here except for she knows definitively where the idol is based on the clue that she got. But let's, let's, let's bring in our, our Australian doctor here again for the first time in, like, he's been back, what, like four or five times in the past three seasons now? Well, yeah, let's point out when they go cut back to Moto after the win, you know, everyone's laughing at Papa Smurf. Oh, that was the funniest thing ever. He fell, and they're all just cracking up like it was the funniest thing. And then I think it's Cassandra notices, you know, he might be hurt. <laughs> yeah, so this the doctor comes in, and, and yeah, Papa Smurf's big thing a lot of people don't remember is that he's dizzy. He can't really, he's, he's got vertigo. He's spinning around and stuff. And again, from someone who was just recently in a car accident, that's what happens when you get neck injuries and soft tissue injuries is vertigo is the first thing that happens. You have no spatial recognition. You don't know where you are, and it makes you throw up. Just turning your head will almost make you nauseous. It's a really horrible thing, and I think, I think that's what happened to him here. All right, Gary, you're right, Mike. Oh, God, God, I can't believe I have to come out because they also come out in the next episode. So I can feel like this guy is like getting more and more annoyed because, you know, <laughs> Bruce was the first time they had done something like this in 10 seasons. Now he's like, I have to come here like every other week now to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Gary, he got a bit of the got a bit of the bonky bonk on the head. <laughs> Gary, can you poop, Mike? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can poop. Oh, that's good. I, I can't. I don't remember if I pooped because <laughs> <laughs> there's this one bloke earlier. His name's Bruce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like I, Bruce actually relieved the constipation of doctors being brought onto the show, ironically enough. <laughs> I just realized Paul hasn't said anything in like 10 minutes. He literally is fapping in the bathroom. <clears throat> Back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with Gary being attended to by uh, Crocodile Dundee, then we uh, immediately go to the episode three immunity challenge. And this is. 
which I actually didn't remember this until I watched it, that there was a gross food challenge in this season. And here we go. The episode three immunity is the gross food challenge, or as it says on the uh, board behind Jeff, the waste not, want not challenge. Which, I mean, th- we, we talk about, I think that, you, Paul, you mentioned before, that it seemed like there were some challenges that I think the producers might have predicted the have-nots would be understandably failing, and they didn't want to even the playing field a little bit. I feel like this is definitely something that should be in their favor, considering it's eat food. Uh, and Rabu shows this by, like, clapping vigorously upon hearing that it's an eating challenge. And the good quote from Yao Man, because Jeff's like, yeah, man, you seem excited. He's like, we are starving! <laughs> <laughs> in his Yao Man way, which is yes. fantastic. All right, so here we go. The gross food challenge, always a favorite. I wish they did one of these every season because they're always fun and or disgusting. Um, so the first round, we have a giant clam, which is Rocky against Liliana, which is very fortuitous that Rocky just mentioned last episode that he's been eating raw clams. Yeah, it was it was good to see Rocky and the clam. Also, just a point that, that it's very minor and it doesn't mean anything and, and, and all that sort of stuff, but I always like to point it out. You do see Jeff at the beginning. He does say, first team to four wins but i think it's on the third it's it's the one with lisi the peanut worm it's lisi versus uh mookie and he's basically they they get the peanut worms and he says all right here we go first team to five wins and it's you know it's just a weird editing thing here and there but for those of you who don't know a lot of times when they run these challenges like heats like they go back like sometimes they run them to five but then you see it on tv and it's to three or something like that it doesn't really matter but you know, it, it's a fun little editing mistake that you can sort of catch. But yeah, Rocky trying to eat a clam and he loses. Oh, he wins. He wins. He, he beats yeah, Liliana. He, oh yeah, he beat, Oh yeah, because she's still had a dangler in. Yes. He's like, no, I, th- there was some food in there. Like this tribe really needs to lose. I, I think I saw a, a, a hair back there. Nope, doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, because they both like finished at the same time. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of BS a little bit, but whatever. Next up, we have the octopus tentacle where dreams outlast Sylvia. Yeah, and Sylvia does fine. She just doesn't eat it quite as fast, you know? That's yeah, like she, She's not up against a homeless guy who loves food, getting food. She should have blamed it on uh, Jenny for um, losing the octopus tentacles. That's why she <laughs> lost. <laughs> Next up, the peanut worms. Mookie against Lisi. <clears throat> and this, this is great is where... because yeah, Mookie not only dusts her, he blows her, blows her <laughs> out of the water, he taunts her by eating his first worm and holding the second one in front of her face trying to make her throw up. And I thought between Judd and Terry, we wouldn't get enough talk about sportsmanship on Survivor, but we get a little glimpse here yeah. where Boo is furious about the sportsmanship uh, behavior of Mookie on this. Yes, well, I stand by my douche, 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 El Ducho name for Mookie. Mookie definitely deserves his douche label because he is quite douchey in this season. Yeah, and this, this is probably the first one. Yeah, and this is what you're talking about, where like Mookie does get the taunt, and then you know Boo's like, you know that that's bad form, and it is bad form, and. You know, Rocky's just basically in the moment, and I don't really think this is uh, a product of the have versus have not. This is just Mookie being a jerk, Boo responding because Boo seems like the person to respond to it, and then Rocky just, what, bro? You don't like that, bro? Be a man. Don't have feelings and don't cry. But uh, I also would like to point out that knowing, you know, what she becomes famous for in the community afterwards, it's very ironic that, you know, Lisi can't handle bad things in her mouth. (laughs) Maybe she just doesn't like peanuts. Different <laughs> types of nuts. She likes different types of nuts. <laughs> All right. The fourth round, the sea cucumber, where Alex beats Earl. The Clash of the Titans, the two yeah, of the see, better pe- eaters. People- People shit all over Anthony for his performance in this challenge, but Earl doesn't do a great job either. And they both complain about the same thing, which is an interesting thing because, you know, Earl's basically like he loses and he goes to the bag and says, I didn't have any water. You know, and you, you hear him say it like, you know, because 
apparently, you know, like me, you know, the, there's eating habits. Some people don't like to drink liquid with, with dinner and stuff like that. And, you know, some people are voracious, sort of, I need to have a lot of liquid, to, you know, while I'm eating and stuff like that. And it seems like Earl was like, there was no water. I, I needed water. And that's sort of what Anthony complains about later. But the like, Mookie jumps down Anthony's throat about it. Yeah. I think it just shows the different level of respect between Earl and Anthony that they can, can say the same thing and only the second one gets crapped on for it. All right, next up, uh, round five, the fish eyes, where Michelle against Edgardo, and uh, El Ducho destroys her by throwing those fish, those fish eyes right down his throat, doesn't even t- chew on them. Yeah, so that's four, right? So, oh, oh no. That's three James to two. That's three, yeah, yeah, three to two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the final round, pig snouts, which is Papa Smurf against Anthony. And, you know, in a season full of highlights, this is probably the greatest Papa Smurf moment of them all. Yeah, because he wins. <laughs> yes, this Papa is the one Papa Smurf moment. Papa Smurf beats Anthony in the reward challenge and in the immunity challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps Rocky wasn't that off base with his Anthony criticisms. Yeah, so so basically they have pig snouts and, you know, they look disgusting or whatever. And you hear people back going, it's bacon. No, that is, no. But yeah. Bacon doesn't have hair on it. But they do the pig snouts, and Papa Smurf basically beats the living crap out of Anthony here. Like, it's, it's not even close. Well, again, this is one of those things where people say the have-have-nots thing was unfair, and the have-nots never could have won a challenge. Like, there was no discernible advantage for Moto in this challenge. Moto just beat them. Like, Ravu easily could have won this. They just didn't want it as bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like with anything. It's like to, to get a losing streak from a tribe, it's, it's more than just external forces. You know, you just... You, you know, not all challenges are the same, and some are more individual and this, that. I mean, we went through it in Palau. I mean, Oolong had plenty of opportunities to win some of those challenges. They just didn't. You know, it's yeah. something happened. And in this one, we had people that were a little more squeamish on food or couldn't eat without proper liquid or some things like that. Them's the breaks. It's just how it happened. So Ravu loses again, and it looks like it's going to be Sylvia's last stand. Though, so one of the gripes I think that we actually have about Modern Survivor is that a lot of strategy is about splitting the vote in this in this era of the hidden immunity idol. And we get a little bit of this last season when Cowboy does his planned voodoo that ultimately doesn't work. And you would think that it, it didn't come, this splitting the vote didn't really come about until like the middle of the season after the uh, fall of the four horsemen. But we actually get our first kind of breadcrumb, breadcrumbs here where it seems like Sylvia is position to go but you know rita and rocky talking they say like well what if sylvia has the idol let's throw a couple of votes anthony's way so that just in case sylvia plays the idol anthony will go home and this will definitely come to fruition many many times in the seasons to come but it's interesting i didn't remember that strategy starting in this episode yeah so basically they want to get rid of sylvia they want to get rid of anthony too so just in case sylvia's got the idol they'll throw some votes at anthony basically put him on notice anyway since they're all actively calling him a giant pussy at this point might as well just give him some votes too so yeah this is the long slow painful uh downfall of anthony starts about right about here yeah and and he sort of gets he he sort of gets trashed at tribal council a little bit which is going to lead us into our next episode yeah yeah so they get there yeah, there's yeah, there's one thing that I want to say here, which is like Rita doesn't have a uh, uh, she has a couple moments, uh, and here's one here that still I'm still very undecided as to why she does this, but she gives this confessional where she's like, I don't want to vote out Anthony or Sylvia, so I'm going to do something against the tribe. And apparently, doing something against the tribe is her just randomly voting Earl, which is like something you would see in like on Pagong not in the 14th season of Survivor. And it's still so weird to me that she decides to just randomly throw this vote to Earl. And they probably would have never even addressed it if that wasn't your winner that you're going to talk about later 
even mm-hmm. though in the reunion show Jeff slips up and says that he wa- uh, he never had a vote cast against him, uh, which is incorrect because Rita leaves this little stain on uh, what would be a perfect record for Earl. Have you ever seen any early shows or anything, Paul, where Rita explains why she voted for him? Um, well, she didn't go on the early show, and I can't really recall the um, the Survivor Talk, Survivor Live, whatever it was called back then. So I'd have to do some deep digging into what the reason was for that. That's a lot of effort to put in. Sylvia. Yeah, that's a lot of effort to put in for Rita. I wouldn't bother. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, so we lose Sylvia. Do, would you? Do you have any final words for Sylvia? I, I think this is all Paul. You, you go. Yeah, um, go ahead. Give me the floor. I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't know how to sum up Sylvia other than she's just she's just awesome. And um, I wish I could find that hour of um, of stuff when she was on um, Survivor Live, Survivor Talk, whatever it was called back then, because she really was just really funny and just had a really good sense of humor about herself. Very self deprecating. And um, just a lot of great things to watch about Sylvia. That, that's the best kind of pre-merge boo. It's someone that they can leave and it makes sense they go. And that's, you know, that's what you expected of them. But they're still very entertaining for the short amount of time they're in the game. So cast more Sylvia's, please. Paul, did you write to Sylvia and ask her to be your prom date? Um, maybe. <laughs> right. I know the answer is yes. I'm trying to embarrass Well, when she saw the picture, I said, I have a picture of you hanging up in my room, and that kind of ended. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that one over your bed. Uh, yeah, no thanks. It was, well, it wasn't the fact that I had the picture. It was that the picture was kind of slightly askew, so that um, <laughs> that was the end of that. I will agree with you in a sense, Paul. I think that you know these early boots, they 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 sh- probably should have been booted from the game. But Sylvia's one where like she probably shouldn't make the merge ever on a season of Survivor. She could have lasted more than the third episode. It would have been great. She definitely is well above the Ashby line. A uh, big impact for these small scenes. And uh, I, I sort of agree with you, Paul. It's like you cast someone like Sylvia on the show, like. I think that I would probably make a lot of the mistakes that Sylvia made in the sense that, you know, she did a lot of, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a smart person and she sort of was an ideas person. Like, Hey, maybe we should try this and maybe she would try this. Okay. So let's try it. Well, I'm not going to try it. Why don't you guys do it? And it's like, that's going to grind on you. And and especially when you're out there and you have nothing and you have to really work just to basically get firewood and to, you know, do the things to survive, just walking around going, well, maybe we need to do this thing. Why don't you do this thing? And why don't you bring me this thing? It's like, you have to go out and get it yourself or it's going to annoy everyone else that's running around doing those things. So, and, and it's especially tough when you're on this tribe where nothing is necessarily going right. You know, the, the one thing that they did in like uh, nine days of Survivor was they managed to make a fire. Like nothing else has gone right for Ravu. And it's like, if you're like, bring me this thing, this is going to guarantee success. It's like nothing is succeeding, Sylvia. You need to change it up somehow. But into the Sarlacc pit she goes. So yep. move on. <laughs> God damn it, Mike beat me to the Sarlacc reference. That's totally where I was going, too. <laughs> yes, right into the Sarlacc list. She has digested slowly over hundreds of years. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of Sylvia. And uh, with that, thank you, Paul. And thank you for joining us. We will see you in the next podcast. Bye. <laughs> All right, episode four. Just, going just, our- just, just mute his mic like we mute yeah. Bill's mic. <laughs> So we now emerge into a post-Sylvia world. Episode 4, this is the uh, Papa Smurf and Liliana episode. A lot of yeah. diabolical plans going on here. I would, hey, I, would so- call this, I would call this the open forum episode because it's actually bookended here by Rabu's open forum and Moto's open forum, which both of them ended, of course, hurt feelings. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so we start at Camp, uh, camp Rabu, 
And uh, Earl has decided that he needs to diffuse some of the tensions between Rocky, Mookie, and Anthony. And the best way to diffuse tension is encourage them to all yell at each other. <laughs> so go nuts, you guys. And this is where Rocky just completely goes off on Anthony in a scene that clearly one of the more hated scenes in Survivor. People always bring up the scene where they always say, oh, Fiji's so uncomfortable. I hate it. I can't watch it. It's just ugly and uncomfortable. And it's always this scene or or subsequent uh, Rocky Anthony scenes. But it starts here where Rocky just goes off on Anthony, calls him weak, you're whiny, you're sensitive, you act like a girl, stop acting like a girl, man up, like we don't want you here. So it's, this is Rocky letting loose with a lot of frustrations of losing and stopping smoking, and he takes them all out on poor Anthony. Some things that I love about this speech, though, is, you know, he says, you know, I, I don't like people that are playing the sympathy card unless they're abroad. I'm sorry to all the ladies. And then he also he brings up the specific examples of his mom and his crazy aunt. And for some reason, I imagine Rocky's crazy aunt is just the image of Rocky wearing that tube top later on in the episode. And that's what Rocky's aunt looks like. With the coconut stuffed in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you guys, I mean, a lot of people have very visceral reactions to this scene. And I've, I've seen people just absolutely go insane when they see the scene. And I've, I have some theories on that that might not be very popular. But do you guys, are you bothered by the scene like a lot of people are? I think uh, it's hard to watch. I mean, I'm a little yeah. bit, I've seen enough times now that I don't react as strong as I did. But like, I, I it was, it's not a, uh, the funnest scene to, to watch it happen, especially when you don't see really, I don't know what actually happened there. You really see no other, you know, people's input. You never see anyone kind of stick up for Anthony. And it's just, this, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a fun part of the season. For me, it's sort of like the gender politics of it, the unintentional gender politics that kind of sent it over the line where like Rocky is very much insinuating like you're not being a man right now because you're showing your emotions. Be a man. And I mean, I'm an emotional person, so I probably take more offense to that than probably someone that hangs out with Rocky would. But that's that's what gets on my nerves is that he's so adamant about like this is how a man's supposed to feel. And he's very vocal about that. And like Paul said, we don't see any sort of other side of the conversation. Well, you do see Mookie saying the same thing, so it's not just Rocky. Like, this is clearly something that is kind of a... It, it gets under people's skin about Anthony on that tribe, that he's just... That he's not a warrior. And that's, I get that would be a more diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah, it's just, to me, to me, I've always... I was always kind of surprised that people took it that seriously. Like, to me, it's just two people on a TV show having a fight, which happens all the time. People yell at each other all the time. Like, I don't... I don't really get why people take it that seriously and again we'll see the same thing i think in worlds apart with the whole you know uh will and and shireen to me i just watched that i'm like okay that's two people don't like each other and it's just getting a yelling match it's just it's a poorly thought out yelling thing it's a yelling moment in a in a game that's very social no one should do that but i don't take it personally and i get upset when i watch it i, I don't do that and I, that's the thing with this one too i'm like yeah it's just two characters that clearly don't like each other and rocky decides to go off on anthony but i'm always shocked that people take it this personally when they watch this show but I think what's a little challenging about it, though, is like if you have like in the first episode, you have dreams and Rocky going at it. And it kind of seems like they're on a level playing field. Like they both are, you know, it, they're coming at it for, at the same at the same angle, whereas you really feel like like Anthony has gone through so much in his life that he really struggles with that, with his confidence and and whatnot. And so it just it feels it's just like harder to watch because like Anthony doesn't have the same tools to fight back uh, against Rocky um, than clearly how Rocky is fighting with him. So I think that's part of it that, that makes it challenging. Mm. 
it, it's it's that it's it's the fact that that Anthony. I mean, he said he says as much in in a thing is that Anthony's been bullied in his life, and he's literally just being bullied in the scene. And if he were a bully himself, or if he's sort of uh, the same sort of temperament as Rocky is, it, like like Paul said, it's 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 two rams butting heads at that point. You know what I mean? But battering rams? Yes, maybe. But this is this is this is Anthony basically reliving uncomfortable moments of his life again on the island because uh, someone from someone of obvious low intelligence is basically yelling at him with uh, you know incredibly gender insensitive things. Basically, don't show emotions because that men don't show emotions. It's like that's literally 1953 thinking, and that's that's what he's basically being bullied with. Like I, I I'm not saying that I I am going to get super upset about it, but I mean that's where we're coming from, Mario. It's not just oh yeah. look, people are having a fight. It's like. There's a lot behind that, actually. In, ter- in terms of like long-term storytelling, I think it would actually probably leave a little bit of a better taste in my mouth if Anthony does get revenge on Rocky and makes it further than them. But the fact that he gets eliminated three episodes later at the hands of Rocky himself after once again being bullied even more at Tribal Council is just like, uh, well, this doesn't really pay off in terms of a storyline. See, my argument on this one has always been like, it, it really depends to me on who the audience is watching Survivor. Like, if Survivor had a hardcore audience of, like, like athletes and people like that that they really tried to do in the first season that they wanted these hunters and Joel Klugs to be, like, the demographic of Survivor, if a group of them watched that, that, that um, scene, they would probably think, yeah, Rocky was kind of mean, but he's not wrong. He's actually correct. Like, we need warriors on this tribe. You're not a warrior. I can't believe you're here just wasting our time. And that's why I think... Like it really depends on who's watching the scene, and this is going to be one of the least popular things that I ever say on historians. So I'm waiting to get tons of emails on this, but my argument is, if you have an audience full of, and again, I'm going to quote Sophie from Survivor South Pacific on this, when you have an audience that's full of dodgeball targets, when they see someone getting yelled at for being a dodgeball target, naturally they're going to take it very personally, and that's the one thing. I just it depends on who you watch the scene with, is how they would interpret that. That's all I'm going to say about it. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's something to say. You relate to people on the screen that are most like you, right? And you yeah. know, what, what you're saying is that people are more like Anthony than they are like Rocky. Yeah, I get absolutely. That. I would say that I'm more like Anthony than like Rocky. But by the same token, it's also tough as well looking objectively because, okay, Mookie is yelling at Anthony for not performing on the challenges. Mookie just won. Uh, he Mookie won in his little thing in the reward challenge, and he beat Lisi in the eating challenge. So Mookie has a leg to stand on. Rocky ain't one shit, and Rocky is yelling at, at Anthony for things. It's like, yeah, Anthony got beat by Papa Smurf twice, but it's like Rocky did not win his. Uh, uh, I mean, he won the the immunity challenge part, but Rocky didn't win in the reward challenge. So it's like it's not like Rocky's got the best track record going on planet Earth, and it's like for just you know not being good in challenges and saying you know it, it's not that he's saying you're not trying, and that's. To me, that's just a lack of understanding more than anything else. But that's 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 where it comes from. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's it's one of those things. Really, the big picture is I just watched the scene. Like, wow, I can't think Rocky thought that was a good idea, and it social came like oh yeah, it's, like yeah, yeah. It's one of those moments you're never going to win a jury vote if people see that you treated other people it, like it's that. It's a terrible idea, but Rocky has already dug his grave socially in this game. So yeah. I don't think that this is like well, this is the moment where we all knew that Rocky wasn't winning Survivor. You knew that in episode one. Yeah. This is just speaking yeah. of which, let's focus on two more people that might be burying jury votes over the next couple of episodes. Let's do Steve. this. 
Stacy and Lisi, guys, we're actually seeing some moto dynamics for episodes yes, into this season. <laughs> yes, yes, and I will make. I'm, it's my goal to make a case by the end of this season, and, and we'll touch on a little bit in these these first five episodes. But like, I think Stacy is. I mean, Lisi is obviously like a whole bunch of entertainment, but I think Stacy is one of the people that is not talked about as enough as a yeah. great character, and mm-hmm. I think she would have been a perfect, perfect addition to the villains tribe. I think she's a, a fantastic uh, female villain for the show. Oh, she's a very hateable character. I remember that at the time. I remember watching it now. I remember I was thinking, like, why do so many people, when they watch Fiji or think of Fiji, think, oh, that Rocky was such an asshole. He was the worst ever. Like, Stacy's just as bad as Rocky. In fact, I would argue she's even worse than some of the stuff she's saying because she's actively trying to exclude people and make fun of them to their face. It's like, yeah, Stacy's horrible, although that's actually the next episode. We're not to that scene yet. Yeah, so right now... Uh, we get a little bit of catch-up into what's going on with Moto, and it basically Stacy and Lisa outlined that there is a majority alliance of five between Boo, Alex, some guy named Edgar, uh, Stacy, and Lisi. Uh, so basically, this is like sort of a, a combination of like the Explorers and Shelter Brothers kind of broke down, and now we get to see like three of the Hispanics stuck together, and they brought in uh, Boo and Stacy. Uh, and in the, so on the outs right now are Liliana, Cassandra, uh, Dreams, and Gary, though Gary will be on his way out, which we show here with him still being dizzy like two days after he took that fall. Yeah, he, it's, he man, the only it's like, two episodes. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, did I have a baby and I didn't know about it? <laughs> Is he the only, the uh... only two-episode medevac? Uh, yeah, I don't think there are many medevacs where, like, they check on a person and then leave them in the game, and then the next episode they end up taking them out. Jonathan <laughs> Penner might be the only other case I'm thinking of. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, the Mono Moto, we've developed the power core, and then uh, <clears throat> we get to the point where Gary's solving problems, and Lisi says, you know, this is becoming an issue. I don't want to just babysit this guy. Which so sounds compassionate, cold. so yeah. much empathy. <laughs> it's so cold, but at the same time, like, it's sort of a correct statement, I guess. It's yeah. it's it's the whole like I guess if you side with Rocky, you know, it's like is he wrong? I guess you know because yeah. Anthony, Anthony isn't a challenge warrior. I'll, I'll give I'll give him that right. And it's like yeah, you like Papa Smurf, but it's like if you have to spend all your time nurturing Papa Smurf, that's that's distraction from everything else that's going on. And remember, yeah. it comes from the same person who was smashing ants and relishing it a couple <laughs> of episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to episode four. I, I keep forgetting, I'm going through my notes, Papa Smurf has not left yet. He's got the most drawn-out death scene of anybody in Survivor. <laughs> all right, so yeah, Papa Smurf's chewing up the scenery, trying to milk all his death scene. And we go to the episode four reward challenge. This is the, the Vanuatu Memorial Challenge, where uh, they line up on a balance beam and have to pass each other and get to the other end of the balance beam. Yeah, except they're going co-ed this time. Oh, yeah, where Yao Man's going to get a nice face full of Rita boob in a second. There's <laughs> <laughs> a great... There's a great moment at the start of this challenge where Probes is like, "You guys ready to complete compete?" And like, there's this very unenthusiastic, "Yeah," from both tribes. Like, "Yeah, we are." It's it's just really funny that the level of energy is completely different in their in their answer. Not a lot of good uh, little interaction here as well because what they're playing for is they do that whole uh, catalog thing that they've done in several uh, seasons in the past where they they. They get um. That, that's the next. Sure? That's oh, that's the next, next one. Oh, this yeah. one's just like. Oh yeah, this one has like the. I'm sorry. This one has got like the gigantic rack of fish that like. Yeah. It's the <laughs> it's the ones that Bob Dog didn't chop up in uh, <laughs> last season, but uh, you know then there's like the big bags of rice and then some pillows and blankets and also there's going to be a king size bed that's going to go to Moto's Beach. Yeah. 
This is the let's give Moto more win, even right? more yeah. even more shit challenge. Yeah. Well, could you imagine that bad being in the middle of Rabu <laughs> yeah, camp? That's what I was trying to think. Like <laughs> Rabu wins the challenge, and they're like. I, oh, we have to give them the bed? Like, no, the, the, Robert, Robert would eat the bed. We know that. <laughs> it would have been like the Willy Wonka bed. They All eight of them would have been crammed into that bed like the old grandparents of Willy Wonka. <laughs> but anyway, they do this challenge and Moto wins. Um, and I, I guess the, the thing that they show, the, the way that the editing sort of shows this, which I would sort of disagree probably with the story for the most part, is that you know, Ravu gets a bit of a lead because, like, Yao Man completes the course and he gets a face full of Rita Boob. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And then someone else, like, does Michelle complete the course? I yeah. think, yeah. Michelle and Yao Man complete the course, but in, in, uh, Moto's taking forever because Lisi is going first. And, you know, Lisi is one of the bigger, is, is the biggest pers- person out there because they're sitting out Cassandra and Papa Smurf, right? So, <laughs> So like, but they basically have a strategy of instead of doing the whole hug and lean back and forward, they're trying to do the strategy where they're the the people on the beam are basically squatting down, and Lisi's just trying to like sort of straddle over them one at a time, and it doesn't work for the first part because she either loses her balance or she's touching two people at one time, which is against the rules, and she keeps going back in the water. But basically. It's this false sort of lead where like, oh, Ravu gets a lead. But it's like literally Michelle and Yao Man who weigh about 100 pounds combined complete the course first. And it's like they're the easiest people to complete. And it's like Moto basically takes the the anchor of, well, you know, booze at the end and we need to get Lisi across. And once, you know, once Lisi's across, then it's then it's done, basically. And it's like it takes Lisi forever to do it. But once she does it the rest of Moto just kind of powers through this challenge very easily. Well, Mo- Moto does something really interesting, though, where, like, so the rules are you can rearrange your lineup at any time by having everyone jump in the water at once, but they don't say anything about, like, one person can jump into the water and then they'll just go to the end, which is what happens where I think Lisi gets past Edgardo uh, and is at Boo, and then Alex, I think, comes up with the solution of, like, listen, have Edgardo just jump in and he goes to the end. So basically now Lisi doesn't have to step over Boo. Now she just has to do it only one time. So yeah. Moto kind of has that really interesting strategy that ends up, as you said, Rabu gets out to this sort of false lead and Moto completely demolishes them in, in one fell swoop. Yeah. Can you imagine if Gary had been in this challenge, if Papa Smurf had been out there? That would have been pretty awesome. He would have broken a rib somehow. <laughs> yeah. All right, so yeah, so Moto wins according to the edit or the storyline. Ravu had it until Anthony blows it for for Ravu, and I just wrote in my notes, oh man, this is going to suck for Anthony now. <laughs> so yeah, so Moto wins. They send Yao Man to exile. We go back to camp, which immediately is Rocky throwing shit and yelling. <laughs> it's like, oh, poor Anthony. Anthony might as well just quit. He has more of a, more of a, uh, a reason to quit than Papa Smurf does at this point. <laughs> Yeah, and I, but I do like Rocky invoking this idea of the Jeff phone and basically says, <laughs> you know, why, why don't we just go to Tribal Council right now? We'll call Jeff on the Jeff phone. And it makes me, I, lo- I would love this image of like if every tree mail comes with like an emergency Jeff line, like a red <laughs> phone, which they call Jeff just in case like someone wants to quit or they want to go to Tribal Council immediately. <laughs> Homeless people are getting more nutrition than we are, bro. <laughs> yes, he, he is. Yeah. 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 D- Dreams is very much getting more nutrition <laughs> than you are, Rocky. Um, it's it's tough because Rocky is throwing a fit because to him winning is gonna cure all and it's like look if they win a reward challenge they get shit right like they're gonna get fish or they're gonna get rice you know like that's good they don't have that stuff like I totally am with him on the fact where like winning a challenge is going to do good things for you but by the same token like 
if if all you were going to do is just pin all of your hopes and dreams on these challenges, it's yeah. like this is the reaction you're going to have. And that's the short-sightedness of Rocky here is that, you know, yeah, you want to win. I'm not saying that you shouldn't win and winning, you know, just blow it off. Oh, we didn't win. So what? But it's like even Mookie here is like, it sucks. We lost. We need to move on. And Rocky's like, no, we need to, you know, <laughs> dwell in this loss and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's like. But there's so much more, and it's like he realizes that his fits and tantrums has basically lost him Survivor because Survivor is not winning this challenge. Yeah. We need to yell at Anthony. Yeah, that's yeah. a great quote. Rocky's like, I'm not being negative. I'm stating the obvious. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I have to use that in a debate sometime. That's an excellent quote. <laughs> also, I have to be throwing things at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Smashing random objects against a cave wall. <laughs> yeah. I lost a debate in high school because I started doing that in the middle of a debate. So All right, does, yes. Does Gary go before or after the coffee? Or no, that's next episode. Oh, so Gary, no. We, gotta, this is, this is, we don't have the coffee yet. Slow it down. Yeah, Slow hold down. on. Yeah. We have Earl. Earl says, you know, he loves Anthony, but it's getting hard to look out for him. Like Anthony's dead man walking, so Earl's trying to distance himself from Anthony. Which is why I said earlier that you know Earl would have voted for Erica if you were there. Like, you know, that's, that's his thing is that he's like, I'm going to look out for Anthony, but when it's not viable, I'm just going to cut him loose. Yeah. All right, so we cut to Yao Man at Exile Island. He gets the clue, and he's like, oh, I know where it is now. It's back at camp, so this is going to come to a head now with Yao Man and Earl sharing notes. And now we go to Moto. This is where the first, really, thing of dissension we see in Moto, where there's, we finally see people starting to not get along, where the scene where Liliana is giving all the guys massages. It's at night. It's in the night vision. It's all kind of sexy, and, and all the guys love her, and Lisi sees it and gets mad, and and uh, she says, yeah, guys are too stupid to see what Liliana is doing. She's trying to get in good with everyone. And then this is one of the more famous Lisi quotes where she says, Liliana has a diabolical little Mexican mind. <laughs> and again, if you know the background yeah. to this, it makes a lot more sense where Liliana was one of these people to start this big explorers alliance, which Lisi was not a part of. And having known about this, she already came into Moto with sort of a wary eye on Liliana because she seems like a real game player, even though, again, outside of massages, we do not see this in the episode whatsoever uh and liliana apparently thought because of the hispanic connection she was part of this big she's part of the the big majority alliance which is why when lisi votes she says like the alliance is five not six she's alluding to the fact that liliana thought she was a part of the alliance when she really wasn't (laughs) and i would say that yeah that quote sounds a lot more racist till you realize that little that lisi is also on among the hispanic tribe so but yeah no that makes sense when you realize that when you realize that they're talking about alliances there so also a little uh, offensive if Lisi, I think, identifies as Cuban to be saying, I know my people and her diabolical Mexican mind. It's, it's just not a good fit, Lisi. Just don't. And, of course, that will be the only time Lisi says something that will seem offensive in this season. Right. She just disappears now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to smash ants. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to Gary's protracted three-episode death scene. <laughs> he's laying there like, I'm still dying. <laughs> and they're like, just fucking go already, would you? Jesus know, Christ. Like, yeah, I mean, the, the, doctor basically, the doctor basically has to say, like, well, we, we did all we can do here, so you can, you can come with us, but that's all we can do right now. <laughs> no. We'll call it a medevac for insurance reasons if you'd like to just accompany us. <laughs> I know. He's like, oh, man, yeah, I just got to. I, I, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> All right, so you got a bit of a boo-boo. Come on with us. Get in the kangaroo pouch. We'll help you right to the boat. <laughs> so once we, uh, once we boot him out of the game, though, I have to bring this up. He was on um, 
on Survivor Live the next morning, and um, he's on there with uh, well, it's him and Liliana, and it's Dalton Ross and Jenna Maraska, and and they're um, having this kind of banter back and forth. And then Gary Papasmurf says, in all seriousness, he says that uh, he he's um. He's well. He's working on getting shape, you know, for uh, this little thing called uh, All Stars Two, and then it's just kind of like <laughs> awkward silence. And then Jenna, Jenna, big dude, she's like, I-, "I vote for you." And like Dalton Ross just kind of stares at the screen and is like, "Like, okay, then moving on." Yeah, he was. He's going to go on All Stars with Jeff Wilson, right? They're going to make up the, the mysterious third tribe, <laughs> right? But then he, he told people when he was out that the reason that he was actually sick with things is that he had an allergic reaction to all the bites he was getting. That's what made him give him the loss of breath and the nausea. Yeah, I've heard that. Is that legit? Has that been backed up by anyone that he was actually legitimately sick? I don't know, but well, also I'm afraid the Saint Paul the Saint Paul Pioneer Press says that that's the <laughs> quote they gave. So. I also am afraid for him because he's a bus driver, and I can imagine if he's that prone to get lightheaded, I would not him, I would not want him, uh, you know, operating some sort of heavy machinery that transports children. <laughs> well, I think in Ramsey, Minnesota, you don't get to be picky about your bus drivers. <laughs> oh, look at the Montana kid taking a dig at another state. <laughs> can, can I, can People I, always mix up Minnesota and uh, Montana, so I got to. Can I, can I? Can I also just say, is anyone ever picky about their bus drivers? <laughs> Touche. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Cat. Uh, but uh, this this always goes because people always talk about like quitting versus medevax and stuff like that, you know, because it's that whole people watch Survivor and a lot of people that watch Survivor, especially really big Survivor fans, uh, internet fans, or people that have applied to be on the show and you know really desperately dream about being on the show, and, and that's all well and good. It's always good to have a dream, but you know. Fans get really mad at people who quit because, you know, you're basically taking this dream and you're throwing it away. Like, you're on Survivor and you're going to quit Survivor. I would never do that. I would never quit Survivor. So, you know, people really come down hard on quitters. And then you get something like Gary, where it's like, he clearly was in medical distress, you know? And he basically is like, I can't go on. Like, I mean, it was only, you know, it was the first third of the game, right? Like, the game's not even halfway over. And he's like, oh, crap, I have to survive another... A million days if I'm you know playing this game forever I, I don't think I can do it but at the same time it wasn't a total medevac because the doctor was basically like he can't stay in the game I have to pull him out like the doctors were like look if you want to go you can go but we've done all we could and Gary's like I'll pull myself from the game so then people are like is Gary a medevac or is Dar- Gary a quit and it's like just let it go Gary left the the illness is always a, t- a tough thing because I'll compare a situation to like Dana in Philippines where like uh, it, with an injury, you know, Jonathan Penner's leg injury or Mike Scoopin, for example, or even Bruce, like you can see externally the pain that they're going through. So you can understand like, OK, that's a, a reason for them to be taken out of the game. Whereas like with Gary and Dana, it was much more internal feelings and it's tough to really vocalize that. And so like I think that's probably viewed in much more of a skeptical light as a result. My opinion is whether it was a quit or not, he would have been medevaced for something eventually, so maybe he just sped up the process. Or Gargamel got him, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, he, ne- he didn't have enough Smurf berries, and that's why he was feeling like that. <laughs> Yikes. I, I love how they did save that body for All-Stars, too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Gary has finally been medevaced six pages on my notes later. All right, so here we go. So uh, 
go back to Ravu. Uh, Rocky is going insane. We need a win. We need. I'll do anything to get a win. He's trying to keep their spirits up, which is hilarious coming from the last scene where his it was all Rocky just belittling, belittling one of his uh, teammates. Yeah, I, I, I tore them down. I might as well try to build them back up. <laughs> exactly. But, but build them back up by really leading by example, like being naked and wearing women's clothing. <laughs> Even though, you know, the concept of just someone walking around naked is not funny, as we learned in, in Borneo with Hatch. This, the way this shot is framed is something I had on the Funny 115, where Michelle's just reading a tree mail. And here comes random Rocky out of the corner of the screen and full naked with a giant blur. And then Michelle, it's, it's funny because she knows he's naked, but she won't look at him. She's going to hold out her hand. She's like, please, I'm reading. <laughs> it's just, I just love the way it's shot. It's, inherently, it's not that funny a scene. It's just a good little character moment because Michelle clearly is used to seeing Rocky naked. And she's like, yeah, I've seen it enough. And so, yeah, then we follow that up with Rocky's going to wear a uh, tank top, a woman's pink tank top to the challenge, stuff it with coconuts. Just, I just got to get these people to laugh, have a good time. It's just ridiculous. I got to keep the morale up, which, again, an odd choice for motivational speaker, Rocky. What's great is that they come in because in this one they, they bring in Ravu first, you know, almost like they do for reward challenges with the get you're looking because they're, they're revealing to Ravu because they bring in Moto next because Gary's gone, basically. But, uh, you know, they get into the challenge and Jeff, you know, is pointing out the, the, the tube top that Rocky's wearing. And you guys are in good spirits for getting just absolutely crushed in this game. Yeah, and that was a compliment. And it was a compliment from Jeff. And then they bring in uh, Moto and they basically are like, Gary's gone. And they're like, oh, Gary's gone. And they're like, yeah, but we got to run a challenge. So but look at this bottle. <laughs> yeah. You know what we did in Cook Islands to even the game up? Let's do that again. And I'll get to yeah. this in a minute, but yes, Jeff basically is like, I'm going to introduce a challenge, but there's a bottle that's going to be read afterwards. So after Moto wins this uh, challenge, we're going to read the, mo- the, the bottle that Moto is going to get. So, <laughs> In fact, the note even says, Dear Moto, when they read it. Yeah, Dear Moto, we knew you would win, because what else? Basically, everyone's like in floating cages, except for one person in the beginning. They have to like... Uh, Go. They have to like basically paddle out to uh, a place in the water and unlock a cage, which gets a tribe member. And then they have to like go on a lily pad to another cage and unlock another member who has to go on a lily pad to another member and unlock them. And then they have to basically then paddle a boat back, pick everyone back up, and then everyone goes to shore. And then they have to form a human pyramid because because <laughs> dreams the cheerleading coach is on the season. I don't know why they have to they have to form a human pyramid so that one person can unlock a tall floating cage and get someone down like why they couldn't boost them up i don't know but it, it had to be a human pyramid because this is survivor and moto wins by a lot yeah because yeah. the Owlman and rita are terrible if there's one thing to be grateful for in the bottle twist it's that this challenge is mercifully short because i feel like it would have been dragged out normally because yeah Yaman and rita totally deets it here and that they can't make their way across the floating floating lily pads and so moto is just even though rabu kind of catches up with the human pyramid uh, moto's out to too much of a lead to to not win it Human pyramids. Now we're doing it like the Fijians. Fujians? Yeah, I know. When we're dreams there, my dreams reference. Yeah, my Fuji. Um, yeah, so Moto wins by a lot. It's not even close. And Moto has to read the official Moto bottle, which so says... The, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, the bottle basically says inside, it says, you've won immunity. Congratulations. Now here's the deal. You either keep the immunity and then go live on Ravu's beach with immunity... Or you can go live on the Moto Beach and have to go to Tribal Council. And this is basically an evening thing up because 
you know that Ravu would have totally gone and, and made the switch to go to Moto's Beach. And it, it creates, they sort of figured that Moto would win. And so this is basically a dilemma for Moto, which is, we're immune, do we stay immune and now have nothing and give Ravu all of the advantages that we have? Or do we just bite the bullet and go to Tribal Council and make sure that they still have nothing? So if Ravu wins that, do they permanently live on Moto's Beach? They become the haves all of a sudden? Yeah, that's what I would yeah, assume. Yeah. Until, unless, so, Jay, I'm assuming this is the, the one thing that you would say, you yes. would, this is something that would be like yeah. the great equalizer. Now, in your hypothetical season, would this happen after every immunity challenge, or would they just pull it out like two or three times? Every yeah. other challenge, I would pull it out. I wouldn't pull I it out say, every yeah. challenge. I'd say every other challenge, I would have this dilemma. I was going to say, I was shocked the first time I watched this season, and even on this rewatch, that they never swapped the tribes. Like, that's obviously what I'm doing if I'm a producer. I'm giving the have-nots. All of a sudden, make them the haves and just see how it changes their attitudes and everything. So, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I, I'm kind of shocked that at no point did Ravu ever get that, big, that good camp. Yeah, not only that, but that, that's what I was alluding to, Mike. I feel like with that tweak, this would have been pretty good in the sense that not everyone, because that, it could create a, a, a bad imbalance in a way, but I would think like almost like every other challenge, um, you give that you give that option of do we keep the immunity or do we get the awesome beach and just become the awesome beach tribe um, or opportunities to win the beach perhaps for temporarily or, or, or reward or just have, have the, the haves beach be more open yeah. to be one. I think is, is a tweak to the, to this, to this twist that would be good. Not, not necessarily to make the game fair. That's not what I'm about, but it's sort of like what Mario said. It's like, you're the have nots. Now you're the haves. How does this change the dynamics in your tribe now that you don't have to worry about such things in your eating? And yep. then if you are the haves, all of a sudden you're the have-nots. How does that change the dynamics within your tribe? Like maybe it won't change at all, but you know it can create unnecessarily unnecessary stresses that I think would be fun to watch. Yeah, if if that had happened even once this season where they switched camps, I think people would remember this is a fantastic season. That's I that I honestly think that's the only variable that's kind of missing from the season to make it a top tier season. Yeah, and I think, honestly, to tell you the truth, I think Moto makes the right call and just basically yeah. says, screw it, we'll go to Tribal. And I, I think that it's the right call. I mean, you know, everyone's always like, you, can, you never give up immunity. You never go to Tribal. And it's like, dude, have you seen that shelter? They have, like, all the food there and everything. Yeah, and, and at this point, there's a clear majority alliance, so they can definitely afford to lose a couple people. Yeah. We got two sets of fishing gear. I'm not giving that up. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, with the decision, Moto... Gives up immunity, and basically they're going to lose two people this episode. They already lost Papa Smurf. They're good. So they're basically evening up the game just so they can keep their camp, which, like Jay said, probably is the right move. But whatever. we have to. So Moto is now going to go to Tribal Council. And again, is this the only time Moto ever goes in Tribal Council when they're the haves? Yep. Yeah. I, I haven't watched past episode five, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so this is the one time Ravu technically wins a challenge, and it's only because of the bottle twist. So thank you for stepping in, producers. It's good, and they, they're going to go, and basically you just see some shots of this majority alliance that has already been uh, outlined earlier in the episode. Uh, Alex and uh, Edgardo and Lisi and Boo and Stacy. basically they're talking about who to vote for, and Lisi is, like, they're basically like Cassandra and Liliana are the targets, basically. And well, no fingers are pointed, right, Oh, yeah, Mario? oh, yeah, we yeah. always yeah, shoot yeah, we, 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 we got to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. One of, one of the all-time great irony moments of Survivor, and again, this is one of those that so many people pointed out to me. I had to write about it on the Funny 115. I put it on there. Everyone loves it. It's one of my more popular entries. It's where they go back to camp at Moto. Dream says, look, we just got to lay this out in the open. I'm not going to point fingers. 
And then he literally points his finger at Lisi. Says, we can lose Lisi or Cassandra. So it's a, it's a wonderful moment. Great too. Yeah, I know Lisa gives the great Lisi face, which I love. I did a lot of screen caps of. Yeah, and again, we're 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 going toward this role of Alex kind of being the tribe stabilizer, and he vocalizes the dreams like, "What the hell are you doing? You are breaking down so many personal bonds by being so out in the open." Uh, and James yeah. is like, "No, we got to come to a decision right now." Yeah, we don't want to be snakes. Let's just get rid of those two people. They're horrible. <laughs> Well, from the from the viewer standpoint, who do you lose, Liliana or Cassandra? I mean, it's you know, yeah. murderers row either way. It's like Lennon and McCartney. How do you pick? Yeah, you're right. It, it, that that's it's it's a comical scene, but it, again, you can see where Dreams is coming from in a weird way. Like Dreams is like, hey, I don't, you know, let's just stay as as a unit and go as a unit. But it's like, oh. Bless your heart. That's not how this game works, right? And what I love is the awkward silence. Not only because people know that this is like a really weird social thing to do, but like they all want to go off and strategize, right? So then you have a guy like holding them all hostage at camp going, let's all stick together and not run off into the trees and, and be snakes and, and strategize. And they're like, but dude, five minutes from now, that's totally what we're doing. <laughs> well, and the problem with Dreams is also, like, you can see it from his perspective as well because, like, he said early in the episode that, like, Papa Smurf was really the only person he, like, talked to on this tribe. So he's, I think, really just frightened because he hasn't talked with any of these people about what they're going to do. So he's sort of grasping at straws, and I guess his big idea is, let's just, let's just have an open discussion about everything, so that way I can know everything that's going on. Yeah. Well, I love Dreams. Again, it's one of those things, you kind of feel bad for him. He's kind of like a puppy out there, like, He's so earnest and honest when he says stuff, just the way it is. Like, it, it, he, he doesn't really get tacked. He doesn't really get kind of the social strategy of the game, but it's, he, he just says stuff so earnestly. And that's just one of the things that I, I kind of feel bad for him watching. Like, he's just so over his head out there in a game like this. He's over his head, but at the same time, as the next episode's going to show, we get there, he's got, like, he understands. Like, I, I think that Mike brings up a, a good point there, is that he wants to have this open discussion because he knows that he's not in with anybody. Yeah. No, it's true. It's a good point. But then, if, yeah, go ahead. What's funny is this isn't even the most embarrassing uh, dreams faux pas in the episode because we're about to get the Shaquilla soliloquy speech at Tribal yeah. Council. So basically, the power the power five in Moto is is talking about who to get rid of, and it's funny because they really want to get Cassandra out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I try to think about the end game if that actually went through and they got Cassandra out. But you know, we saw earlier in the episode it was set up that Lisi you know, thinks that Liliana is the threat and Liliana is the person that they need to get rid of. And so she sort of pushes for it and, and she's going to basically win this battle and Liliana is going to go home. But you could see Alex basically really upset at this. And, you know, I think because Alex has got, you know, perhaps a, a plan B that, that could include Liliana, which, you know, Mike has sort of mentioned with the, you know, uh, perhaps the uh, uh, Latino American tribe uh, plus explorers plus other things sort of going on there. But like, you know, he also brings up the point that like Cassandra does virtually nothing in challenges and not really much around camp and Liliana does things. So it's like, why don't we keep her? We'll still win. Yep. My, uh, my favorite scene though at tribal council, I mean, everyone knows the soliloquy speech and everything, but um, my favorite thing is the last two things that are spoken. So it's like it's going to be Liliana or Cassandra. And so Liliana kind of gets – or Jeff kind of asks, yeah, her, you know, why should, yeah. why should the tribe yeah. choose you? And Liliana goes, you know, I bring strength to this tribe. She makes this case for her. And you kind of see Cassandra motion like, oh, now Cassandra's going to, you know, fight for her life in this game. Cassandra butts in and says, I definitely want to compliment Liliana. She is just uh, exemplary for female strength. She's just amazing. And, and I look for her to go very far in this game. Love you. 
You're runner-up, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Winner of fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or one hundred thousand dollars, mm-hmm. I should say. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Here's the I thing: Does Cassandra just know that Liliana's going home and she's just throwing crap on her on the way out? No, because Cassandra, Cassandra votes for Lisi. She doesn't vote for Liliana. Because <laughs> oh. I mean, right. it's just so. Oh. I'm I love you. Paul. I'm, I'm with you, Paul. It's like. A, <laughs> It's like a total out in the field. Like she raised her hand. And I was like, "Oh, here comes Cassandra's rebuttal." She's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna get it. She's gonna fight for what's hers. Nope. Yeah, you're great, Liliana. Okay, and then we we also we've talked about it several times. We have to mention it's a funny 115 moment. It's where Dreams doesn't know the word soliloquy. Yeah, who is it? Lisi. Lisi says we got back to camp, and Dreams went on a soliloquy. And Dreams, of course, has no idea what that word means. And he's like, "Yeah, so I went game back, and I guess Lisi says I went on a shaquila." So it's just, you know, and then Jeff, you know, and, and we all get that moment. But I also like what he's talking about because Jeff is basically like, "So you sat everyone down and then said that these two had to go." And then he's just like, "Jeff, don't make me sound like a monster not, here." Not like that. <laughs> I'm not a monster. No. Yeah, I don't want to point fingers, but Lisi started that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's like, "Don't make me sound like a monster," and it's like, "But that's what you did." <laughs> Poor dreams. All right, so we lose Liliana and her diabolical little Mexican mind. <laughs> and when she leaves, she says, oh, good thing they got me out because I was going to win. Liliana uh, is, a, is, a, is an interesting case in the sense that I, I think ultimately it's probably best that she went home because I don't think that necessarily she's going to add there. I do wonder. She's one of those what-if characters. I don't like to play the what-if game, and that's something that really, really like sort of grinds my gears in a lot of ways where people are like, I like this random person that doesn't go very far and has no personality because maybe they could have been a good character and it's like well they weren't in their time that they had there and (laughs) Liliana definitely fits that bill but she's one where it's like is there more to her or is isn't there you know like like unlike Jessica or or Erica or things like that like I'm I'm pretty firm in saying that they're what we saw is pretty much what we were going to get from them. You know, I agree with that. I think she just didn't really fit into the storyline of things that were going on. And I remember her talking about in her after um, the Survivor Live stuff where she was saying that uh, they made all these jokes about like, you know, were you even on the show? And she's like, I don't know. She goes, I think maybe I was like really bad in my interviews. I was always talking really quietly because I didn't want people to hear me. She's like, so maybe I just didn't come across on camera at all. The yeah. one Don't thing- worry, we're gonna, we're gonna see Liliana in All Stars too, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll, save, we'll save a spot for a little thing called uh, All Stars too. I was gonna say the one thing that struck me about Liliana is when other people talk about her, they talk about her as being dangerous or strong or she's athletic. Like people actually seem somewhat complimentary about her when, they, and again, this is just secondhand opinions. So I actually think she is one that had she been relevant to the storyline, she would have got a completely different edit because you don't normally see people being complimentary towards people that are voted out early. Love her. And again, there's, there's, yeah, there's one quote in there that says she's like as strong as the men. She's amazingly strong. So oh, it's man, one of those like the highest compliment Rocky would ever give to somebody. Exactly. She's, but like, I'm just a, saying, she's yeah. like a man, you know? Yeah. But I'm just saying you don't normally hear that about these early boots. So, yeah. again, I, I hate the dumb what if game as much as anyone. But it, I mean, it's entirely possible. Had she been relevant, maybe she they make her a compelling character. But who knows? But who knows? See you later. Rip and peppers. Yeah, it, it, it's late. En- it's late enough that I, I'm not going to put any more effort into it. So All right, episode, episode five. Yeah, it's like favorite close. episode so far. This is awesome. Yeah, the, but Sylvia's the first, not there. The first big chunk of this episode, though, is pretty much Yamin and Earl try to look for an idol. 
uh, which is, again, the first really big idol search. We had Sylvia dig it a little bit in the previous uh, two episodes, but this is where, like, the real idol hunt begins, which is, again, strange because in Modern Survivor, it would happen in, like, minute five of episode one. Yeah, exactly. And, again, this is one of those, again, like Richard and Rudy way back in the, se- in the first season, people that might not have ever met one another or maybe not even aligned in the game all of a sudden are thrown together because of circumstances to become a best buddy alliance. It's the, the rush hour alliance between Earl and Yao Man who are going to become fast friends here. But we understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. But it's we get we get a, we get a fun little bit where they're talking and they sort of are comparing notes and basically they're talking about it. And I love that Yaman's like and digging with the machete. I mean, forget about it. But like, you know, Earl basically then volunteers and says, "I'll pull him away from camp if you dig." Which is, I mean, you know, I feel like if I'm in an alliance with somebody out there on the island and we both sort of know where the hidden immunity idol is buried. I'd be like, hey, do you want to lead everyone away and I'll dig for it? Yeah. Well, it's one of those that Yao Man's the only one that has all the pieces, but Earl Earl knows enough that Yao Man is dangerous. They're almost forced to work together. Yep. And then Earl's like, yeah, I'll I'll do that for you. And we get, you know, it's good because Earl leads the people away from camp to go crab hunting or whatever. And there's an awful lot of people just sitting around by the shore and not crab hunting. Thanks, uh, Rocky, for your hard work. But like, (laughs) we do get another Earl helicopter pan, don't we? We do. This yeah. is the second helicopter shot of Earl. Good for Earl. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, not only do we get Earl with a helicopter shot, where we get an interview with Anthony hinting that there's going to be a great comeback. He's like, you just got to keep fighting, got to keep fighting. So, like, they're hinting all of this stuff that Ravu's going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, cuts cut to, cut to them absolutely getting slaughtered. <laughs> cut, cut, cut to the sumo uh, reward yeah. challenge. It's, a, it's an eventual comeback, granted. <laughs> yeah, basically, what I was gonna, to wait a long time say, for the payoff. Yeah, it's like Papa Smurfs medevac, basically. <laughs> so we yeah. get we get the Earl helicopter pan, which which again, pay attention. This this is this is our winner. Yeah, I was gonna say there's really two storylines in Fiji, and it's funny. I always say Cook Islands is interesting because people remember the storyline as being oh the I two comeback. It was the I two comeback when in essence the story the start of the season was the racial twist. But everyone just remembers oh the comeback the I two four comeback, but. It's funny with Fiji, no one ever remembers that. They just remember, oh, haves versus have-nots, have versus have-nots. But the true story of the season, there's really two of them. We're going to get one, which is kind of the rise and fall of dreams. It's really kind of a tragedy. But the other one, the main thing, this is the I-2-4 comeback of this season, which is the Earl and Yao Man Alliance. And it's funny that hardly anyone ever remembers that or talks about that. They just say, oh, that was the have or have-not season. But look, how come people aren't forgiving of this season like they were with Cook Islands? I've always wondered that, like... Why don't people say, oh, the great comeback, the Yao and Earl comeback? But the, it's, it's just interesting to me why Cook Islands gets this pass and Fiji doesn't. Because I, I think that you know, this, is a more, this is less of a concept comeback than, than uh, Cook Islands is. You know, Cook Islands is the I-2-4. Like it's these four people from the different tribes that start off, and they're basically a small group that have to overcome a big group. And it's like, yeah, Earl and Yao Man sort of help overcome you know, the 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 pre-motos and like the four horsemen and you know sort of these jerks that they have to sort of go through to get to the end of the game but like there's never that sort of us versus them it's 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 all very nebulous because people kind of float in and out and dreams is floating in and out i mean it's like this it's this whole sort of hodgepodge here so it's like instead of grasping onto a concept of little guys versus bigger jerk guys it's like you sort of have to latch on to earl you know, yeah. and, and, and we all like Yao Man, but it's like you have to latch on to the concept of we like Earl and we want Earl to pull, pull through everybody. And what? it's like as good as, as Earl is and as much as we like Earl, like they don't paint Earl as a 
oh my god, he needs to really go up against all the odds all the time. But wait a minute, I, I don't disagree with you much about stuff, but you don't think Yao Man was the star of the season? Yao Man's the star. I found the lemon tree! But like, yeah. Earl, Earl's the winner, but like, did we get a lot of like Yao Man like looking wistfully at the camera and getting helicopter pans? Oh no, but he's kind of like this lovable old man who just keeps defying the odds, and all of a sudden he's awesome. Like, this guy's amazing. Like, yeah, but at, Yao Man was defying the odds from, from episode one, so like, it's not like Yao Man wasn't defying the odds, and then the four horsemen got in his way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just yeah. Yao Man's plucky, and he was plucky the whole time, and God, Yao Man's the best. You know what yeah. I mean? You, I, I 100% agree with you. Yao Man is the star of the season. He's the only person they brought back from the season, and that's with a very good reason. Yao Man is the best. Yeah. But I don't think that the story, Yao Man didn't overcome anything. Well, he overcomes, yeah. just, there's constant shots of people laughing at him, over underestimating him and stuff. Like, yeah, there's a lot of. But, but there's no arc. It's just, no. it's just a constant, oh, Yao Man can't do this. He did it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I agree. It's, also, it's, it's also interesting because I feel like, like you said, I think the I2 4 is much cleaner. Yes, they get Jonathan to work with them for a couple of votes, but they pretty much stay as a consistent block throughout the entirety of this, you know, second half of the season. Dreams is going to become a huge fulcrum in this alliance because he's sort of, you know, Earl still has him for bringing him into this African American alliance, and he also has this partnership with the Yaman as well. So if it really, I mean, if, if Yaman had made it to the final three, I think they would have played up their partnership a lot more, but because Dreams is such a big factor in this season as well, that's kind of another, you know, it's some oregano, as Dreams put it, that you would have to throw into that little pot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I've always just argued that, you know, Richard and Rudy, probably my all-time favorite unlikely pair of friends, and I always put Yao Man and Earl right behind them. I mean, and it, you can even increase that to the point that Yao Man kind of plays the Rudy role. He's this beloved hero that everyone loves. He's the Kathy O'Brien that everyone wanted to win. He falls right before the end, right mm-hmm. before he would have won. But it's, I always, I, I mean, that's the thing I always argue that, you know, if people don't give Fiji a chance. They, oh, Cook Islands is so amazing because these likable little plucky underdogs get to the end. And my argument is always, how did we forget about Yao Man and Earl, who was one of the sweetest friendships ever? It's just, it's just. Again, I'm just defending Fiji here. I'm trying to oh, figure yeah. out how this season isn't popular, how it's not liked by anybody. Because with with that one, you have to look and dig and sort of read between the lines on a lot of the the things. Because, like you said, Earl, for as awesome as Earl is, and I think Earl is just an awesome player, person, and human being. You know, Earl is not like creating, you know, gripping television every time he's on the screen, which is problem one. He's with Yao Man, who is creating great television uh, every every moment he's on the screen. But Yao Man's got his own sort of, you know, he's Yao Man. He's just defying, you know, he's 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 defying the odds all the time. But it's not, you know, that there's a story arc as we talked about that they created with Cook Islands, where I two four is down, I two four makes a big comeback, and it's like. You know, Earl and Yao Man are down, I guess, in the sense that they start on Ravu. But, like, there's no, there's no arc. It's just, yeah. you know, they go. And to be fair, I would also argue, and we'll clearly talk about this a lot in Part 3, that Yao Man has a very shady storyline with Dreams and the whole car deal, truck deal later down the road. And, 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 and you could easily edit that to be Yao Man as one of the biggest assholes in Survivor history, taking advantage of the poor homeless kid. Yao Man has that shady thing with Dreams in the car. And the thing is, is that the Journey character, clearly this season, is Dreams. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Dreams is the the rise and the fall story. And the thing is, is that Dreams is he's sort of parallel to Earl and Yao Man. So he has to soak up some of their story, but yet you have to you know, you have to write that story in a different way. It just sort of gets kind of muddled. And I yeah. think it's good. I think the story is good. And I think Earl, Earl and Yaman is good, but it's not, it's not clean. It's not a, it's not a, 
it's not a clean story, I think, like Mike said, that Cook Islands is. Like, Cook Islands is very easy to understand and follow, whereas this one, you sort of have to look for it. Yeah. And again, I haven't watched this entire season in quite some time, so it's, I might not be seeing that clean thing. It's been a while. But let's, let's get to our Survivor catalog here, as, as Jay oh, brought yeah. up before. Uh, oh, so, yes. Um, so Moto eventually chooses, I mean, there's, there's chocolate cake in there, which everyone's sort of tempted by, including Rocky. But I think, as we see at the challenge, I think Moto chose uh, toiletries and coffee, and Ravu chose fishing gear and a bag of potatoes. And it turns out <laughs> that uh, at this challenge, it's winner take all. So Moto has a chance to win a third set of fishing gear from this <laughs> challenge. No, no, you, you said Moto has a chance. You, you should have said Moto will win a third set of fishing gear. <laughs> yeah, and there's a great little, again, moment of Rocky just being pissed at the other tribe. They get the, the, the challenge, and, and, and Abu is sitting there eating a piece of mango. And uh, Rocky gets pissed about it, and then Dreams starts laughing. And here we go, Rocky and Dreams again. It's like, yeah, laugh it up. Yeah, and this is interesting. I don't think we've ever had a uh, a one on one challenge before where they like outright dic- they like. There's a perfect segue into the first matchup where Rocky basically dictates it by saying like, "We're going to go right now. We're going to face off literally yeah. right now in this challenge." And that's a great moment. Again, that, there's a lot of little moments like that that Fiji has where Rocky's legitimately pissed. He's like, "We're going to take this out in the challenge right now." And you, again, you don't see that in many seasons. It's again, there's so many little things about Fiji I like that other seasons don't have. It's just a little moment like that. Well, he attacks because all Rocky has at this point is these challenges, right? You know, yeah. and it, there, there's, there's something to be said, you know, and I, I feel like with, with the way that Modern Survivor goes with a lot of the, the, the strategy seshes and, and the, the strategy that goes on in the season, I feel like challenges a lot of times are sort of an, not just an afterthought, but it's a thing they have to do, you know, in, in, yeah. in the show. It's like, we have to do this because someone has to have the immunity so that we can set up this sort of stuff. And I mean, I, I understand that's the that's the plot device that it runs into under Survivor, but it's like Rocky wants to win, like the 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 reward challenge. Like, and I'm not saying the people in Modern Survivor don't, but it's like it's it's that emotion of we've got to win this, and we've got to you know beat this other guy, and it's it's it, you know it, socially that's bad. You don't want to show your hand like that. Like I want to crush you in this challenge, and I want to make you feel uh, humiliated, and you know just dance over your corpse, and it's like you know. The, you don't want to say that. You want to be more diplomatic. But it's like Rocky's not being diplomatic. He wants to win. He wants to rub his face in it. And it's like there, there's, there's sort of a refreshing air about that in a way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And again, whether you like Rocky or not, I think you have to appreciate that in the narrative because it's so raw. Again, there's not any strategy involved. This is just this guy's freaking having a meltdown. He's embarrassed. It's horrible what's happening to him on TV, and he's going to take it out on somebody. And I, I just find that interesting. And then he immediately so loses. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this this is the challenge that uh, one of those challenges that on paper, as we talked about before, uh, a tribe that is relatively evenly stacked would, even if you're the have not tribe, would do a pretty good job on. But I think the unfortunate thing that Rabu has against going against it is that I think Moto, maybe with the exception of like Mookie and maybe Anthony, has by far the bigger girls and guys overall. <laughs> so th- and this is and this is the Simo at Sea challenge. It's basically a challenge of pure heft. And you see someone like Cassandra knock someone like Rita in in basically one hit. They just they just have the weight behind them, and they don't even try in this challenge, and they still win. I, know. I was going to say Rita in this challenge may be the single worst challenge performance of any person ever, and which is funny because that includes Scout in Vanuatu. I think Rita may be out-scout Scout in this one. Where especially the last round where Cassandra walks out and literally just pushes Rita, and Rita goes flying 10 feet backwards into the mud. 
And again, I was watching it. I'm like, how did I not put that on the funny 115? That's the funniest little visual moment. Well, I remember her Rita saying that she, it was like she had some damage to her like nose done from that. Like it was some like <laughs> serious damage that that uh, Cassandra did to her face. Yeah, lip gloss isn't gonna fix that. <laughs> no, 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 no lip gloss gonna fix ha- fix how um, non-orthogonal her face went. <laughs> well, in, this challenge I think is sort of the height of it's not the height of the haves have nots. I mean, I think that the have have nots has sort of run its course in a way. Not totally, but in, in a way, because they're starting to deal with moto dynamics, and it's like they're sort of setting us up for the next chapter in the story uh, by this point. And I get it. Sort of episode four started it, and episode five, they're continuing it, which, bless their hearts, they did that. But we're still on this moto ravu have have not sort of thing, and it's like, I think that what, some reason, Mario, why people have sort of a, a negative look at Fiji is when you have clearly like an underdog and a gigantic... Uh, tribe that has everything and is in power, you know, uh, especially for an American audience, you root for the underdog. You know, you want the underdog to win. And the problem is, is that it's, it's like Oolong in a way. It's like Oolong was the underdog, but they sort of paint Oolong as like inept so that yeah. even, even though Oolong, you root for Oolong in a way because they're the underdog, you sort of understand why they lose every challenge. And you definitely understand why Ravu's losing because they don't have anything. But it's like they keep short of like trying to hint that Ravu's going to come back and, and sort of turn the tide a little bit. And it's like, I think that everyone was really waiting for Ravu to, like, get one on Moto. And not only do they not, but then in this challenge, like, Yao Man is the only victory. And it's because he beats um, Stacy, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, the, yeah. the smallest lady on, on the other tribe. And, and, and it's close. It's not like, you know... <laughs> yeah. It's not like Yo Man, you know, beats the crap out of her. Like it's a it's a drawn out sort of fight, and it's like <laughs> Moto wins, and it's it's like Mike said, it's not even close in most of these things. Like Cassandra takes Rita, it's like Cassandra hits her once, and Rita's like forty feet off the off the mat, and it's like even Rocky like goes against Dreams, and it's like yeah, they have a couple of swings, but it's like Dreams, you could always see he was never really in danger. Like you know, he's just got Rocky, and he knocks Rocky off, and it's like every single fight, and they sort of it's like Moto wins. Two nothing. Moto wins. Three nothing. Moto wins. Four nothing. And you could just see it on their faces. And it's like, in a way, it's not fun. Like even though it is compelling TV, you know, if you're if you're rooting for Ravu, if you're rooting for the underdog, you're just looking at this like, oh my god. Yeah. In the world of professional wrestling, this would be a squash match. This is a squash match. It <laughs> absolutely is. It's a squash match, and it's the villain that nobody likes just squashing yeah. the face, <laughs> and you know, then like you know taunting the American flag afterwards and walking out of the ring. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Nikolai Volkov just beat Hulk Hogan and rubbed his face in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's just like, that's no fun. Yeah. I love I love that every match is like one-sided. Motu destroys Ravu. And then you have the one match, Yao Man versus Stacy, which is basically like the lightsaber fight on Mustafar between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It goes on forever and it's like a great fight. And meanwhile, it's like Yao Man beating up on the youngest girl. Yeah, but he goes out there and I think doesn't Lisi like laugh at him a little bit or someone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They laugh at him and then he wins and then he just goes like, I beat up on the little girl. Yeah. <laughs> An ugly win, but a win is a win. <laughs> I hit a little girl. I found the lemon tree. Yeah, yes. so Moto, Moto wins. They send Earl to Exile Island. They get all the rewards and especially... They get coffee, which is the crux yes, of the next yes. scene, which is probably the yes. height of Stacy's bitchy edit on Survivor Fiji. Oh, Stacy's horrible here. Stacy, in my opinion, is worse than Rocky. So yeah. great. <laughs> All right, Stacy is so great. Well, so it starts off. They get back to camp, and um, 
before I, before you actually see them like having the coffee and stuff, um, you know, Stacy's talking about um, that how Dreams and Cassandra on the outs. She says Dreams and Cassandra have no allies on this team. It's five two. They're gonna get picked off. They're getting paranoid. Not my problem. We're all adults here. There's no children. I mean, come on. This is Survivor. And so we get this like Stacy being Stacy. And so when you get the coffee here, it's so great because <laughs> Dreams is struggling to to get this coffee press to work. And he's like, he's trying so hard to do it. And like Alex is kind of there, kind of like, hey, you should ask for some help here, uh, Dreams on that. And then Stacy and, and Lisa are just being like so like bitchy to him. And they don't say anything to him. They're like, I'm not going to help him with that. I'm not going to tell him what to do. And then so Alex, who normally like, does drive me nuts eventually is like the most mature person here and steps up and says like well i don't know how to do it can you tell me how to do it and then the explanation of how to use this machine she says you have to boil the water you put the coffee in the bottom you pour the boiling water on top and let it sit for about three minutes and then you press it down and then you have coffee simple as that yeah she's she's describing a a french press for people who don't understand that because you know most people when they think of coffee well, there, there's several things, and, and Dreams makes uh, Dreams says this isn't the dissolvable stuff, so there must be like a dissolvable sort of coffee-like liquid, maybe I don't know, or is he making this up? Well, there's the, there's the crystals, instant. right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, the instant crystals, right? Yeah. So, like, that's what Dreams is used to, right? So he doesn't know that this is coffee grounds that that goes in there. So, like, first of all, he's he's not understanding. He's not worked a French press before, which for most of my life, I've never worked a French press. Like, I've worked one now. But when I was Dreams' age on the show, I, I had not ever seen or worked a French press in my life. So I'm with him on that. Now, I, I, I didn't do coffee grounds, but like I'm like most people with a coffee machine where like you get a filter, you put the coffee grounds in the filter, and then you put the water in, and then you hit go, and then it heats up the water and sort of strains it through the filter, and it goes in the thing and makes coffee. But like this is a French press. It's got the extra step of you just put the grounds in there with the water, and then you have to like press down on the thing so that all the grounds get kind of put down so they don't get in your coffee and it's like stacy gets so bitchy about the fact that he doesn't know how to work a french press it's like a lot of people don't know how to work a french press that's not like common knowledge yeah and you don't like, think she the throws out like six like six steps she just throws out simple as yeah, that i really want stacy to do like infomercials in that bitchy <laughs> tell you don't think dreams the homeless kid was in a lot of high-end coffee shops growing up yeah exactly I mean, so you like, might have been outside a lot of high-end coffee shops <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really sad because they get really snippy about it. And I, I uh, like I said, you know, uh, in these first few episodes, Alex seems not only like a nice guy. Like I love his response here, where he, you know, like Paul just mentioned it, where he says, like, you know, I don't know how to work this. Can you show me how? And it's like Alex probably knows how to work a French press, but he's just saying that so that they'll explain it. And then they just like roll, like Stacy rolls her eyes and says eight steps on how to do a French press and like like 15 seconds and then just as uh it's like nick the nick burns the company computer guy you know <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome and you know move. move and then cassandra sitting over there saying hers <laughs> that <laughs> her coffee sucks and then stacy has this like horrible look on her face she just is like looks so annoyed and so aggravated I feel so bad because I just really like the coffee grounds at this point. I can totally imagine like she like Stacy just like eked out the last grounds into Cassandra's cup. But there's a couple of interesting quotes here which are so ironic. First, as you mentioned, Paul Stacy's whole thing about like we're not children. This is Survivor. When like sur- one of the key rules of Survivor is to not exclude anyone uh, because right. you never know what will happen. And I love this quote from Alex of this game to me is all about immediate karma. Let's put a pin on that and revisit that in about like. Five- <laughs> 
five or six episodes, shall we? Yeah. It, but it's funny that Alex gets quite the little hero edit here. Like, he's going out of his way to make sure the, the poor homeless kid isn't being embarrassed on national TV. He's actually being a diplomat. And it's, yeah, it's just a, it's just a funny scene. And, and it's just classism. It's just Stacy just wanted to make fun of the poor kid on TV. It's just ridiculous. But then you could see, you know, it's funny because you see, like, Stacy making her pot of coffee and she makes it with Lisi. And, like, you see them, like, take these ginormous. Like, the French press does not have a lot of volume to it when you make, like, a batch of coffee in a French press. Like, it's not a humongous contraption. And you can see that they're making these huge bags of co- uh, things of coffee that she's pouring for herself with milk and, uh, and, 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 and Lisi gets some. And then you turn over to Cassandra, and it's like, like you said, Mike, she literally has probably had the small remnants of whatever Stacy didn't pour into her mug and, and Lisi's mug. And she's just like, this is all grounds. And it's like, you see like Stacy roll her eyes, which probably wasn't at that comment, but they edited it as such. But like, you see Stacy like over on the couch or the bed or whatever stupid furniture that they have in Moto's camp. And she's just like, this is just a slice of heaven. <laughs> and then yeah, you look I- over at Cassandra and she's just got this like dirty pot of coffee. that she's <laughs> just kind of like swishing around. <laughs> yeah. I totally want to back up what Paul said that Stacy does not get nearly enough credit for what a horrible bee she is in this scene. She's like just an absolute vicious little bill, uh, villain in this scene. Uh, uh, then we we move on from this, and we have kind of a. I always thought Alice and I for some reason I'm always gonna. I always get a kick out of this scene where you just kind of get the scene of Rita back at um at Rob just talking and talking and talking and talking about fat bastard the way she tries yeah, to do this. Is, is, is this the first accent. Austin Powers reference we got on Survivor? <laughs> I think so. She's like, sorry, I don't have my sumo skills. I'm not. What's the Austin Powers thing? Fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was British. He was British, yes. Well, he, well, he was Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's going on and on about the about the, the lip gloss and how her skin and her, you know, Michelle's, they fare well with their ethnic skin. And that, the, the editors do a pretty good job of, like, putting this all together. What I love Wait, is they, love they keep it. zooming in on her face. There's her yeah. mouth, right? And what her I love lip. is that, that, that who bonds over this but Anthony and Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. Right. Yeah, all of a sudden, Rocky had, yeah. I was going to say, uh, well, all of a sudden, Rocky and Anthony are buddies again. <laughs> I lo- well, I love the, the exchange that they have. They're like great little quips where first Rocky says he wants to hang himself with his T-shirt. And then yeah. Anthony talks about how he's hemorrhaging from his brain. And then Rocky finishes with the quote, I want to smack him with a fried pineapple, which is such <laughs> a random like threat to make against somebody. It's all they have at Ravu. Like, that's it. I'm just Not even a raw pineapple. We have to fry it so it's harder. It does more damage. <laughs> I also love that Rocky's like, you know, imagine we were all living in a small apartment, right? We were living in this small apartment, like, and, and they got up before two people and we had to talk about stuff. You go to the other room, you go outside. <laughs> they're like, go outside they if you're going to talk about lip gloss. Yeah. You're <laughs> watching the, the scene, you're like, oh, I guess this is the uh, Rita episode. <laughs> yeah. I guess Rita's going home this one. Huh? Yeah, this is, this is one of those that we talk a lot in Mon Survivor about how they're invisible characters, but when you see them start to kind of talk in an episode, you know that they're probably going home. We saw it with Liliana yeah. in the previous episode. This is another key example. Yep. Although now we're going to go back to Moto again. Oh my gosh, and even this is like yeah. even more like awesome. Like I love oh, quoting the oh, scene is so this, Is this the Alex so Scramble good. scene? Yeah, this Alex Scramble. Like, oh, cool. so Whatever scene. Go ahead, Paul. Well, I, I don't have um, I don't have all the quotes you know written down here specifically, but pretty much what happens is is you have Alex that's presenting this case to the rest of his alliance, and he has Edgardo's like on his side on this, but he's presenting to his alliance of Lisi and and Stacy and Boo that says, you know what, we can't be treating Dreams and Cassandra the way we are because he he lays this all out for um Lisi and says, we have seven people. 
if Dreams and Cassandra decide not to stay with us and we go into the merge and it's seven to three and those two switch over to the other side, then all of a sudden it's five on five. And Lisey's response to that is, <laughs> cool, whatever. Cool, <laughs> <laughs> whatever is to each other. <laughs> Oh my he's God. like, and he's like, no, that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the best. He goes, no, it's not whatever. That's not a deal, Will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I, I love it. I love it. It's so much fun here because again, we keep talking about how Alex is the voice of reason here. But two episodes from now, he's going to become a complete buffoon, which is just right. it's so it's so amazing to think about the the overall edit of this, this guy. And then it's like, and then he tells it to Stacy. Stacy's like, I don't think we should have anything to do with them, honestly. Like, yeah. no. And then, then he goes to like Boo, and Boo's like, no, I want no, uh, uh-uh. uh, and he's just like <laughs> pulling his hair out, like, what the hell? Yeah. For those of you scoring along at home, Alex lays out exactly what is going to happen later in the season, and to a man, every single person in his alliance, right down, Lisey, Stacy, and Boo, I'll say, nah, that'll never happen. Fuck them. I love Stacy's. I love Stacy's logic. We should have nothing to do with them. But we go to the merge. Who are also two people that flip on them and join with the Ravus, Stacy and Boo. Right. <laughs> so maybe they got the they got the idea from Alex and decided to do yeah. it. So yeah, so Alex and Ergardo kind of like, well, we need to do something. We need to keep Dreams and Cassandra close so they're not going to flip on us. So they make an effort, and Dreams is like, yeah, it's great. And, you know, there's a great confessional where he's like, everyone's being nice to me. I love it. And there's like a beat, and he's like, doesn't matter because I'm still going to turn on them all at the merge. Which again, Boo or Dreams is complicated, right? Like, yeah. you know, he's not super smart, and yeah, he's done a lot of things to bury himself in this game so far. But at the same time, he knows that he's on the outs, and he knows he needs to do something about it. Like, yep. he's not a—he's not a complete idiot, and that's the he's whole not. thing. Is—is yeah. is that you know he is not—he is the Arthur of his own fate. But like he—he he knows what he needs to do. And what's funny is that Alex recognizes it, but like it's too late. Like damage has been done. Yeah, and Dreams even says it's like a poker game. I'm bluffing him. So you can see where the story is going to go. And you can see, and again, uh, with uh, people don't like uh, Fiji because there's no comeback. I'm like, yeah, there is. Like, Amoto doesn't win this game. It's just not, it's more of a roundabout comeback, like you said. It's not as clean. But yeah, there is going to be a comeback later, and it's all going to hinge on Dreams. Let's do some memory. <clears throat> oh, yeah. One of my favorites. This is the, the Lisi Faceplant Memorial Challenge. Well, I mean, that, normally these challenges are so whatever, but like <laughs> this is a fantastic. I mean, yeah. this this is it's not good TV. This thing. I mean, I understand why they don't run this challenge because ninety eight percent of this challenge is pretty boring. To tell you the truth, it's just they're playing memory. They're turning over boards in a field. the 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 trick is, of course, is that they can they can confab with their team while they're on the little platform. But then someone needs to run out there, and then they can't get help from their team in any way. So what? you know. It's funny you say it's not good TV, and it really isn't. Like, I can't imagine they filmed a memory game and tried to pass it off on TV. But it's one of those things that, you know, Survivor can somehow make lemons into lemonade. And I even yeah. wrote in my notes, I even wrote in my notes, somehow they made this challenge exciting. Like, with all the fast forwards and flash forwards they do, like, they, they, they actually the made this watchable. Yeah, yes. they make it watchable, which I can't believe because I knew it wasn't watchable in real life. But yeah, it's, it's well, not, somehow they made it okay. It's not I think they bet. I think they benefited from the fact though, that it came down to a 6-6 tie after this big montage. I think had it been much more of a blowout, they probably would have had a harder job because I agree, it was, it's actually a little nail-biting to see it come down to 6-6 and to see, you know, Ravu screw up, but then Moto screw up, and then Ravu screw up, and then Moto finally get it. It's actually one of the closer challenges that they have. But I mean, 
the the by far the biggest highlight here is Mario. Something that you highlighted in the funny one fifteen. It's it's something that takes all of like it's like a forty five second thing altogether. But basically, uh, it's Lisi's turn. Everyone goes. So you go out one at a time. You flip two boards over. You match either a number or a word. There are four dummy boards out there, and Lisi is so excited that she steps off the platform and face plants and. <laughs> It's hard to just to just to like describe it orally, but uh, there's a little dust cloud that poofs out, almost like an Acme cartoon. And also, the music stops for a good like three seconds and just like Kinda lies pans, there. It pans to Lisi lying on the ground, yeah. and it, you know, it's, it's, Lisi's running off the platform, and she forgets she's on a raised platform. That's what happens. She thinks she's on the ground. So the first step is is it, it's a doozy, and she goes straight down into the dirt. Well, it's great. It's great too because it's just coming off of this intense thing where Yao Man's about to score a point, and they're like, "Yes, he has it," and he's like, "Then he's gonna check." And Jeff is telling him, "Don't look over there. Don't lose this point." Um, and then uh, he gets the wrong one, so it's like Lisi's confident. Yes, I know what the match is. So then she has the fall, which is just like the setup to now that she's gonna fail at at finding the match. Yeah, and and to reiterate, I this is a top ten entry on the Funny One Fifteen. It's one of my absolute favorites. It could have been in the top three, probably. It's such an awesome moment, and I called it the triple fail in what in my write up because there's three things that happen in the scene where she fails all at once, which is fantastic. The first thing is they have an absolute freebie point. Yao Man just screwed up. He gave them a match. All the the motos are excited. They point to Lisi way to go. She's like, all right, the freebie point. Takes that first step, face plant. Lays in the dirt for a good five, ten seconds. It just it, She lays there way too long. It makes it awkward. <laughs> then she pops back up, you know, back in the game. So that's her first fail. She does that. Then she runs out, and she turns over the wrong board. So she blows the triple fail. Or she blows, she blows the freebie point. And so she's done two fails now in the, in the same scene. And then someone had pointed out to me why I need to call this a triple fail. Because Lisi Linares becomes the first person in Survivor history to injure herself in a mental challenge. It is a triple fail. And it's one of the funniest moments in this whole season. And this is a funny season. Well, there's, a great, I, there's a great screenshot where Lisi's turning over the wrong board. And they cut to her tribates behind her, all with their mouths open in horror, like no. <laughs> it's a but great that, but that's shot. the but that's the reason why there's another fail too, is because Moto is unintentionally signaling to Lisi, and Lisi's looking back at them. Jeff disqualifies her and sends her back without even flipping over the other board. It's a quadruple fail. It's a Scout Cloud Lee level fail. It's two digs of Scout in one podcast. I'm on a roll. So yeah, it's it's a great moment, and then we have the whole montage. And at the end, Rocky blows it for, for uh, Ravu. He could have won. And again, it's the great irony here because Rocky generally does not lose after a montage if you've seen your Rocky movies. <laughs> and then Rita goes, bye-bye. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty much that. It's that Rocky targets Rita because apparently she never shuts up. Everyone else, there's a decoy boot in Anthony and that everybody else seems to want to target Anthony over that. But it seems that... Uh, it seems like Michelle joins with Rita in voting Anthony probably because they bonded over fashion and lip gloss, but everyone else votes for Rita and Rita's gone. Yeah. Yeah, pretty simple. Because And she, yeah. was, she was particularly worthless this episode. Rita has a good Hall of Shame final episode. It's not, uh, the, best, it's not the best demo reel. Like, I think Rita yeah. does TV these days. Like, she's a, she's a host personality in whatever city that she lives in. It's like I'm sure, you know, there are some things that she puts on her demo reel from her time in Survivor, and I bet you not a lot from this episode makes it. Wow. She does TV even with that nose damage from Cassandra? <laughs> Wait, so, so Jay, would you say that instead of the lip gloss footage, she would put the footage of throwing a vote randomly to a person instead of actually contributing to the action in episode two? Well, yeah, because then you could basically say, look, I voted for Earl and he won. 
<laughs> I I foresaw it. I was the Sheehan. I knew yeah. who the true threat was. <laughs> you knew instantly. By the way, Yao Man has a great quote here at Tribal Council that I have to quote, where he says his his theory on life is love many, trust few, do harm to none. And then and then uh, what is this comment? He talks about trust and survivor. Trust just means. Trust depends on if my strategy dovetails with yours. And I, I happen to think that's a fantastic uh, uh, quote that should be written on anything that's ever written about Survivor. That's, that's trust and Survivor right there. My strategy dovetails with yours, then I trust you. Are we going to call Are we going to give that the episode title? Or the, uh, the um, podcast title is going to be that? <laughs> I thought it was going to be Paul Fapping to Sylvia. <laughs> Paul Oslison, uh, teacher at this school, <laughs> Fapping to <laughs> Sylvia Kwan. Oh great, Paul's a sex offender now because of this podcast. Yeah, let's not go down that route. Paul Smith. Paul Smith was his name, I'm sorry. Exactly. Alright, yeah, so we lose Rita. Goodbye, meter maid. Well, did did we lose Rita? Not really. Yeah. I like to think that we didn't lose a daughter, we gained a season. <laughs> Rip and peppers, Rita. It's, I just want to say, want to say my other favorite Rita moment, which we will not like discuss because it's so forgettable. But at the reunion, I love when and this is the point where Jeff is still doing like a check in with everyone in the back row, trying to get, hit everyone, and he like jumps to Rita and asks her like a question about I don't know if he directly asked about the kids or something about her kids, and then she, or I think he said like, well, what were your kids' reactions, you know, to to seeing mom on the show, and she's like, oh, they're in the audience, ask them, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna like stop the show and go talk to your kids, Rita. Like, you're not. Yeah, you're, that's how it works. Is, is, are your kids Mayim Bialik <laughs> <laughs> or fans of Malcolm? <laughs> yeah, you're not Colton. We're not talking to your relatives. <laughs> right. Like, All right. Wow. So we, Rita, yeah, you were fifth booth, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. See how the episodes well, got six. more fun as we talked about them. Yeah, sixth. If you count Papa Smurf, you have to remember he was eventually a medevac. But we're still holding off for we still we still technically have not had All Stars two. We've had some fans versus favorites, some blood versus water. We had some second chance, but I'm still waiting for that All Stars two. Yeah, so is Papa Smurf. Yeah, <laughs> it could probably last at least two episodes before breaking a rib in All Stars two. Jacob got like that huge ass Survivor Fiji logo on his arm, tattooed. <laughs> you know way too much about these people, Paul. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna shut up now. All right, look at that. With that, we made it through five episodes of Survivor Fiji, a near-universally loathed season that I think all four of us are, are begging you to give another chance. It's more interesting than you think it is. Well, it's going to become a lot more interesting here, too, because we're about to get to the swap, and this is really when the four horsemen begin to form, and we, we really see the downfalls of Rocky and Lisi, and I'm hoping that we're going to get to the Edgardo Tribal Council, because that is, even though people crap on this season, they still call the Edgardo moments one of the top blindsides <laughs> in Survivor history, and I'm inclined to yeah. agree with them. It's clearly one of the top five best edited moments in Survivor history, I will say that. It, it, it's, it's a payoff that's so good, you know, and that, that's something that, you know, and this whole season's not a lot like the best payoff on planet Earth or anything like that, but, you know... It, I think that in a lot of modern Survivor seasons, you know, they, they try to build up these payoffs, and then when they pay them off, it's not super gratifying. But like the Edgardo blindside, like that's the thing is that it's not it's it's a well edited scene, but it also is a payoff for something. It's something that they set up, and then they pay it off, and it's like it's so utterly and completely worth it when it happens. Like even though you can see it coming, it's so good, and it's so good not only because they do they take the time to set it up in previous episodes, but they shoot it. And, and, and at the episode and at the tribal council 
just brilliantly. But I think that, you know, that's the thing is that we've talked a lot in this episode. I think that a lot of the people that we've brought up in, in the first five episodes here on this podcast are people like Rocky and Lisi, uh, and they're going to go pretty soon. It's not like they're people that are the final two, final three of this season, but they're going to go like we've got a murderer's row of people getting out now. Like we got a lot of the deadweight out uh, this episode. And, and as Mike said, it really picks up here with the tribe swap and then going into the merge like this season's good. And, and and not only is it good, it's going to get like we basically have gotten through the dry part. Like the rest of it is just is just fun all the way through. Yeah. And even this part was had some fun moments. Yeah. All right. Uh, the only teaser I want to drop on you guys and you guys will get a kick out of this. Remember how we had a source for uh, Cook Islands, kind of a production source who emailed us, and gave us some good info. I have been told they have some info about Fiji, too, that they're going to drop on us and we don't have oh, it yet. Boy. So. More oh, Renee yeah. Siler action. Come on, Renee, Renee, Renee. Yeah, so just, I'm not sure that'll be in part two or part three. I'm kind of coordinating how we're going to get this, but just, we may have some good stuff on this in the upcoming uh, parts. And I believe this will be a three parter. It will not be the Cook Islands cursed two parter. We were going to go back to three on this one. Uh, anything else to add? We are nearing three and a half hours, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably it. We, uh, I believe at least three out of us, maybe all four of us, are fighting colds at the moment, so our throats are all killing us trying to talk for this long. So I hope you guys appreciate the uh, the sacrifice we made. And uh, as always, if you have any feedback, you can write us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. And uh, as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslison. If you didn't like this part one, we're going to smack you with a fried pineapple. Talk to you guys later in part two. Go find a lemon tree. I just killed an ant with a hammer. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> what a great death. I found the lemon tree.